This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach. Your guide on the side. Top of the Monday morning to you. Mm-mm, mm-mm, and to boot, it's tax day. So if you weren't psyched enough about it being Monday morning, get excited, folks. It's also the day you get to turn in your taxes, which apparently we love to do here in the United States. Americans love paying their taxes. Do you believe that? In national surveys, over 95% of Americans agree with the statement, it is every American's civic duty to pay their fair share of taxes. So I don't think they love to pay their taxes. Oh, sure they do. I think people feel like it's their duty. Well, and that's what we want to ask. Do you feel like it's your, is it a patriotic act or is it more um, just out of fear? Like, are you more afraid you're going to get in trouble? I think it's more hassle not to pay your taxes. Really? Just, you know, I mean, if people start calling you and trying to take you to court and all that kind of stuff, well, you yeah. can just avoid it by paying your taxes. There's a lot of hassle if you don't pay. Just pay them. It's, it's American. It's as red, white, and blue as apple pie. And no matter what your reasoning, you get labeled a tax cheat. Yeah. And then it's like you're not pulling your weight. See, that's why we, we got to talk taxes today. Who better to do that? Really, who better to talk taxes than the tax girl? I think we had her on last year. Kelly Herb will be joining us, and she's going to walk us through all things taxes. For those of you that are like last minute getting her done today, we've got uh, Kelly Herb who will be joining us. She also writes for Forbes and has the website. you got to go check out uh, Tax Girl. Actually, the, the Tax Girl blog is for Forbes. So if you, if you go to Forbes, you can look for the Tax Girl blog there as well. But we'll be talking all things taxes today. And are you ready? I mean, I'm totally not ready. I will be rushing and filing later this afternoon. Your extension's in the mail? I was going to do an extension, but it looks like we may be able to pull it out. Get it all done today. <laughs> then we'll be rich when they give us some money back no. that we overpaid. Maybe not. Mm. Anyway, we'll get to the tax girl in just a few minutes. We'll also uh, do a, you know, just a quick heads up about what else is going on around the world. But first, let's uh, let's get to the headlines with Katie Jarvis. Katie? Thanks, Matt. A new poll is showing that Hillary Clinton is keeping New York and California away from Bernie Sanders. New York is considered crucial to both campaigns, and Clinton is leading Sanders by 53% to 43%. Clinton is also leading in California, 52% to 40%, and the primary is set to be held in June, but the race for California already shows similar dynamics to what we've seen in previous races. Perceptions of electability and effectiveness are propelling Clinton, but she's behind Sanders on measures such as being viewed as honest and trustworthy, and she does much better with older voters than with younger ones. On the Republican side, Donald Trump is also keeping a lead in New York and California as well. Donald Trump is heading into his home state of New York hit the primaries with a significant edge over Ted Cruz and John Kasich. He has 54 percent and they have 21 percent and 19 percent respectively. If that lead holds Tuesday night, it would get him the bulk of the state's delegates and put him back on the path 
to nomination. And security is being ramped up for the Boston Marathon today. The marathon is set to begin at 9.30 Eastern time this morning. According to officials, there will be a large number of uniformed police officers lining the course for the safety of the runners and the spectators. It's three years after the tragic bombings rocked the finish line of the race and security is remaining high. The course has always had a security presence, but officials increased it exponentially after the bombings in 2013. The FBI announced that there is no current or credible threat to the marathon, but it will be hypervigilant about anything suspicious. And the new version of The Jungle Book opened over the weekend, and it had impressive numbers. It won the box office with an estimated $103.6 million. That's the second highest opening ever recorded for the month of April. Analyst projections only said that it would make around $80 million. The only April release ever to out-earn The Jungle Book is last year's Furious 7. Studio officials have said that they are ecstatic about the start and what it means for the future. And that's an update for today. Back to you, Matt. Thank you, Katie. Great uh, news update there. When you think about it, boy, the 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 fear of going back to the Boston Marathon and doing that, that's got to be nerve-wracking. And one of the women who lost a leg will be running. It's a big deal. Can you imagine going back to the place you lost your leg? In fact, you were just saying they're flying airplanes all over to yeah, make sure the, there's no... The federal government has airplanes checking for any sort of radiological or biochemical or anything. They're just flying around with these airplanes. They have uh, electronic surveillance going on. So interesting stuff. It's just a just a, a race to it's run. A, it's a dangerous world we live in. It is, and uh, nobody could be more dangerous, obviously, than Prime Minister Modi from um, India. I don't know if that's what? how you say his name, but did you? <laughs> CNN is reporting that he left his mark on Prince William. Prince William shook his hand, and then. Apparently, oh. Prime Minister Modi has such a firm handshake that he he when Prince William pulls his hand away, he's got like white marks from the grasp of Prime Minister Modi. Tough cookie. It's like the reverse bronzer. Yeah, it's like, a reverse bronzer. It's like you try to self tan, except this guy self chalked. Is that what it was? <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure. It was weird because his hand was. On, yeah. You see this white handprint. Yeah. On William's hand, you're like, that's odd. What and it that? just might be that Prince William has a lot of blood flow to his hand, so his hand's very red. Yes. Reddish. And then, but so there you can see the fingerprints of <laughs> Prime Minister Modi. Is his name Indian's Prime so. Minister? And I don't know that that's real news. But no, but it was interesting. Keep an eye out for him. Right. That he's, could be a sign. He's, he's, he's a little smaller man as well, and, but has a very, very firm grip. E- either the prince has circulation issues or <laughs> the Indian prime minister has a really strong yeah. grip. Either way. Yeah. The medical side of me says uh, he's got some great circulation. Um, did you hear about the drone hitting the plane in London? I did. Like that's a big deal. You're landing a plane with 100 and something people on it and bam, you hit a drone. I mean, yeah, so the Air, uh, British Airways flight coming in from Geneva hit as it approached London, London Airport about uh, 12.50 in the evening with uh, 132 passengers on board. So they believe it was a drone. They're not sure what it was. Mm, maybe it wasn't a drone. Something just hit the they, – they, they heard, probably maybe felt, something hit the airplane. No arrests have been made. It's confirmed it's believed to be the first incident of its kind in the U.K., uh, the aircraft landed safely, fully examined by the engineers. It was cleared to operate for its next flight, but they did find some signs that something had struck the side of the some airplane. Some kid's little air, little helicopter. A lot of times it's not a kid. 
never is. A lot of times it's an adult that's flying something around an airport for some reason. Why would you ever fly something around I, I don't know. a restricted airspace? I've been to Heathrow. That's a big space. Though I told you my brother took his drone out behind his uh, office yeah, yeah, and flew it around. And then he started looking around and he goes, this might be in the airspace for the airport. I'm not sure. I'm not, and so he brought it back down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's Always. looking around like, is this? I'm not sure. So he dropped it because it is with, it's within several miles of the airport. So. You know, it's a mistake you don't want to make. No. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to have any problems there. It is, by the way, Patriots Day, not Patriot Missile Day. That's a different day. Patriots Day. It's a day we celebrate. Uh, it's the official state holiday in Massachusetts commemorating the anniversary of the battles of Lexington and Concord. That's pretty great. If you want a solid quick read, yeah, there's a book called April Morning. Really? I read it in junior high. I think I've read it like six times is since. Is it about the Easter story? It's a, no, it's about that day, Lexington and Concord. Really? From the eyes of a, of, a, of a boy of about 12. Oh, neat. And, well, not, not really. Watches no. his father die. Oh, that's He's sad. in the front line of, of the, uh, the, uh, the militia that's facing down the Redcoats. But you're bringing, I mean, the, what is neat is that you're bringing in a reading experience. Yes, and that's new for me. Which is really new for you. <laughs> Which is actually interesting because later in the show, in the third hour, we will be talking with uh, the host of a new show, Rachel Wadham has a show here on BYU Radio called World's Awaiting. Yes. Which is about literacy and reading. They interviewed me, and they asked me my favorite books to read. Honestly, mm. couldn't think of any. Because all of my books are... Self-help. They're self-help stuff. kind of stuff. But yeah. they're not the kind that they want to talk about. No. I couldn't. I mean, I, I really, I, I drew a blank like, well, there's these, you're but trying you don't to, want these. You're trying to develop your knowledge base. Yeah. Not recreationally read. No, right. Because they're talking about worlds. You can open up right. to all kinds of different ideas right. and stories. And, yes. And you're reading about how to gain grit. Or I'm watching James Gordon and uh, watching how he does karaoke in cars with people. James Gordon, that's the late, a, late show. That's not a book, though. No. So that's what I'm doing instead of books. Right? Interesting. Yeah, I do a lot of reading. I mean, we read a, how many stories a day do we read? Yeah. Blah! Just uh, over the weekend, my wife looks over, what are you doing? I'm just reading. But not a book. She was. it's work, right? Like, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? You, you can't stop. See, in this business, you can't stop. No. Always finding. Always just, it's like you're just the plumber. You're oh, There's always <laughs> some plug you got, or some pipe you got to unplug, or there's some leaky faucet. I've heard plumbers describe that differently, but yeah. uh, you cleaned it up nice. Thank you. And um, you notice that uh, we haven't even mentioned politics. Right. Isn't it nice? It's so nice. It's like Donald Trump yesterday. I took another weekend off. Yeah. Thank you, Donald. Saving us. And, but we've, we, didn't, we do have to mention Bernie Sanders and the mm-hmm. Pope. We've got to mention that. That turned out not to be the, uh, the situation that it was painted as. Yeah. He was invited by a lower level priest that was holding a conference that what they do is they come up with some ideas and then those ideas are then used to advise the Pope on certain issues. This lower level sort of priest invited Bernie Sanders. It sure. wasn't the Vatican. It was this sure. guy. Yeah. So then it's like, well, is he going to meet the Pope? And the guy's like, well, that's not really my job. I don't really have that kind of influence and that kind of thing. I mean, I can't, get you, I can't guarantee you're going to meet the Pope. And I think there was a, a greet at some point. Yeah, there was. 
just but it was more of a the situation kind of forced the pope into yeah okay we'll, well talk for a apparently few bernie was like staying <laughs> in his place oh with the apartments yeah oh and it's and the pope's like this isn't a political thing yeah what am i not supposed to meet a guest in my home there you go what what is it it's just a meeting it's just we're not like sitting down talking policy sounds like pr spin from the vatican how do we make this <laughs> seem better than it actually is turning out to be I'm going to yeah. guess there's a, a priest somewhere who has some uh, some splaining to do. Yeah. Because he turned this into something that it really didn't need to be. Because the rest of the people attending the conference are, you know, academics. Right. And people who are, are, are experts on policy issues, not people currently running for major political office. Right. But this was a great— Who bring their own media horde with them to the Vatican. Bernie took his whole family. He right. Did. This is like a dream come true for the— Sanders, but they're not Catholics, right? They're Bernie even said this. I'm a Jew. I'm a I, I'm a, of Jewish descent. I don't. I mean, I'm of Jewish uh, origin, family from Israel. All this stuff, and he's basically saying, I'm not Catholic. I'm not into this. But greatest honor, beautiful man. He said, right. it's cool. It's really cool. Celebrate it. Why do people get bugged by that? I think there's a complication where you're running in the, you're in the middle of a New York primary. Yeah. The last couple of days and then you take basically 72 hours to leave and then you come back <laughs> and then you're jet lagged as you're still trying to campaign. See, and, news would have been Donald going there to visit the Pope. That would have been news. Right. This was just, hey, come speak about this thing. Yeah. Just come speak about it. I don't know what people are so worried about. He's still, you know, you know, chewing on the hills of Hillary. Hillary's not – she's not out of the clear yet. No. She's got a – she's 10 points ahead, I believe, and she's still got to hit a home run here. She should be doing a lot better, it seems like. Absolutely. This should all be wrapped up. Bernie, you know, Bernie was from Brooklyn. That's what he says. But he hasn't been there forever. Hence his looking to where do I put the token in the subway when they haven't used tokens <laughs> in 15, 20 years. <laughs> But which is worse, that or sliding the card 20 times? I don't know. One of them made SNL. Right. Yeah. What do you do? Well, one didn't try to go on the subway with TV cameras. That's the key. Yeah. If you bring, if you bring the cameras, you're going to end up being on SNL sometime. So we will uh, we'll, we'll continue to discuss all things political. Um, coming up, I believe, Wednesday, we'll be having our, our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, will be joining us. So, of course, we'll get a, a better look at what happens in the primary race there in New York. That'll take place tomorrow. Um, we also, you know, we still got to talk, talk about taxes, tax day. We'll take a break. We'll uh, scoot on back. And Kelly Herb will be joining us. The tax girl, folks. Man, it, today's the day. Whether you like it or not, they're due today. We'll take a break. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, what do you think? It's tax day, of course, right? Tax day, the day you pay. And are you paying because you're a patriot? Is that why you do it? Or are you paying because you're absolutely terrified about what the IRS will do if you don't? Well, in an article, Americans Love Paying Taxes, in theatlantic.com, there's a really interesting article there about uh, some doctoral research that's taken place 
about taxpayers. Uh, the researcher said, I conducted interviews with 49 people in 21 states about their sentiments on taxes. The single most surprising thing I learned is that Americans feel a deep pride about being taxpayers. One 28-year-old from Utah said, it feels good to be able to contribute. Hmm? And to know that you're part of the reason why there's an infrastructure in place. A Florida woman agreed, I feel like a contribution to society, like taxes are a contribution to society and, uh, and for the future. But here's the deal. In a national survey, over 95% of Americans agree with the statement, it is every American civic duty to pay their fair share of taxes and more than half see tax paying as very patriotic. So do you. Do you see paying taxes as a patriotic act? Are you there to help? I personally, I think it, I think it is very patriotic. I wish, of course, people uh, would take better care of the money. That is very real. Um, you know, I also pay a tithing. You know, I pay tithing to my church. I pay money to my church. But I also am very uh, hopeful and careful that, that you know, that I see the church is taking care of the money. I guess that's one of the differences between the church and government is church probably sees the money as, as more of a sacred responsibility, as, as an important thing that uh, they govern, that they watch over. But sometimes I wonder if our government feels the same way about it. I do believe, though, it is truly a very patriotic thing to do. Uh, one man from Iowa – or sorry, Ohio – called it a responsibility to the founding fathers, a former Marine – said taxpaying is the cost of being an American. Hmm. Compared to 14 European countries, the uh, Atlantic article continues, Americans report the highest willingness to pay taxes, and the United States has one of the highest rates of tax compliance in the developed world. You know, we, we not only... We we not only I guess are uh, are okay with paying taxes and willing to pay taxes. We comply. We have more people that get their taxes paid than any other nation. And uh, remember though too that um, one of the the interesting things about it is we have a really solid tax collecting agency as well, the IRS. Which you know get people laugh at them all the time, but you know what? They're getting the money in. And a lot of you might think, well, yeah, but I don't pay. I don't pay, you know, I'm retired. I'm not paying income tax. But remember, you're still going to pay sales tax. You're still going to pay property tax. Some places you're paying sin taxes, right, for smoking cigarettes. If you're if you're uh, smoking cigarettes or alcohol or other things that you might be doing, you're probably paying extra taxes on that. You've seen a lot of uh, places um, and states increase gas taxes. And you're also still, remember, contributing to Social Security and Medicare. So you're helping people, whether you're retired or not, whether you're making money or not. My son started his his first job this week, uh, last weekend, and at a car wash. Spent all Saturday there. Super fun. We picked him up. What time? Six thirty. He came with his tips in hand, and he had worked seven hours, <laughs> and he looked like a zombie. I'm like, how'd it go, son? And he smelled, by the way, like Armor All, not to drop a brand. But he looked. I mean, he really—he didn't speak. He just sat there, numb. It was the greatest parenting moment ever. Like, how's it going? Great. Did you kill it? Was it fun? Do you love your job? I don't want to talk about it. He didn't want to talk about it. 
Nothing to talk about here, Dad. Nothing to talk about. <sighs> then I gave him the great lesson. You know, 25% roughly of that money you earned today, not yours. 25%. Maybe less. Maybe I'm shooting too high. You know, maybe it's for a, a new working teenager, It's he'll keep more. But then there's the there's tithing, so he'll pay tithing, and he was excited to do that. And then he then I told him about what his check will look like. He was a little mad because his uniforms he he has some polo shirts, and the polo shirts have to come out of the first first check. So this guy probably won't even make anything for the next like two weeks because got to pay for my polo shirts. Yep, it's tough, son. Oh, it's such a great moment. Seriously. Is that rude of me? No. And then taxes. And then I, you know, and then of course, right when I pulled in, I made him pay me $10 for picking him up. Just a little travel tax. Something I do as a dad. Keeping it real. Keeping it real with my kids. Um, one of the problems, though, when it comes to the taxes, right, you're probably patriotic enough to know you, you want to you pay them. But you, wanna, you want the money used right. Americans, according to the Atlantic.com, are also increasingly willing to vote for higher taxes. Isn't that weird? He said, I looked at every state-level ballot measure since 1976 that potentially increased or decreased tax revenues. And guess what? Uh, In the early 1980s, one tax increase in five passed. But since 2000, one in two tax increases has passed, which apparently means we're okay with tax increases. We're okay with tax increases. So, um, but we, again, most of us really do not like government. We wish government was doing more and doing better at taking care of the money that we do give them. Uh, Also, uh, in fact, uh, almost everyone in the study said that government officials are not held accountable for how tax dollars are spent. Attitudes towards Congress are exceptionally negative and doubts about political leaders often taint the taxpaying experience. So uh, anyway, interesting, interesting stuff, folks. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Kelly Herb, the tax girl. And uh, she's a writer for Forbes. Great insight into taxes and some tricks that you need to be paying attention, especially if you're paying at this last minute uh, at the last hour. Just some easy, basic things to make sure you've done. So you don't have any problems. Stick with us, folks. Uh, Helping you at least pay your taxes today and uh, feel good about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, and happy tax day to you. Who better to help walk us through the last-minute filing questions, the details, the things you want to get right, than our next guest, uh, Kelly Erb, is joining us. Kelly Phillips Erb is an attorney. Her primary practice area is in tax law, and she has a blog called Tax Girl. If you just go to www.taxgirl.com, It'll send you right to her writings and her blog on um, Forbes.com. And she was with us last year. Again, she's here today to help us walk through some of the last-minute tax return tips to make sure you uh, file it flawlessly. 
Kelly Erb, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, thanks for having me. You bet. Honored to have you again. Um, today's the day. Is this a big day for you? I'm sure you're very busy in the media. It's a, yeah, it's a little crazy for me. Fortunately, I'm not doing returns anymore, except for mine. Yes. Um, I'm putting my extension in the mail today. Um, but I, I have a lot of uh, last-minute questions that I'm building for readers and that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, we, and we need that. What, what do people need to be paying attention to? So if somebody's filing today, what are some of the last-minute uh, things we should be watching for? Well, the, the most, um, I think one of the things that people forget because they get a little, you know, you get a little nervous, you're trying to run out. It's the basics is what people tend to mess up today. So, you know, don't forget your check. Um, make sure that you sign the return. And actually the IRS tends to have a problem with uh, married filing jointly couples because sometimes in the rush to get the, um, you know, the return in the mail, both spouses don't sign, and ah. you have to have both signatures for a timely filed return. So today, the mistakes that tend to be made, you know, today isn't when you're messing up because of your 1099 or your W-2. Today tends to be those little things like checking your numbers, making sure that you have your Social Security number on your return and it's, and it's right. Because um, I know one of the things that I used to see clients do a lot is, when they would pre-prep their returns, so they would start doing them earlier in the season, and they'd put in filler numbers. Yeah. So like maybe they didn't know the babysitter's number for the child tax, uh, the <laughs> child dependent care credit. So they'd put in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You know, it's the, the right. filler, and then they'd forget to to change it at the end. So today's the you know all the last minute stuff. Does it? I mean, I guess that's it, right? If 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 today you're stressed, and this is probably where the IRS you know, ends up having to make a ton of corrections because people are just trying to get it in in on time. Is it, um, I guess it's still as complicated as ever. We keep hearing politicians talk about the fact that they want to simplify this process. Do you see a day that will ever happen? No, not, not at all. And here's why. Because today, as much as people are complaining about how complicated it is, when you're filing your return, um, you know, chances are that you or your listeners claimed a deduction for mortgage uh, interest, right. claimed a charitable deduction. You, you you took advantage of all of those things that you're totally allowed to and you should take advantage of. But if we were to simplify, what happens is we start backing those things out and everybody says they want it simple, but nobody wants to pay more. Sure. So, um, you know, who wants to give up those tax breaks? You know, seniors get a higher uh, standard deduction than, than um, uh, younger taxpayers. Like all of those things that make it more complicated are the things that we like. So as though, you know, even though people are going to say that they want it to be simple, they want a postcard, they really don't. Right. I mean, I guess that that is it, right? Because you you want to be able to take the child credit taxes or the child credits, and and to do that, you're going to need another form. And with every absolutely. new deduction, another form. Right, absolutely. It's the same thing for self-employed persons. You know, you want to be able to deduct all of your expenses from your income. You don't want to pay on your gross income. You know, you have to. So you need a home office deduction. Like, there's a lot of those those pieces that make it really complicated. You know, and I actually would prefer a more simple code because I think it would be better for taxpayers, but I think that taxpayers just really aren't willing. You know, you start thinking about lobbyists and politicians and the same people who are saying those things about how 
they want it to be simple are the same people that are going to hear the complaints when you start taking them away. And in fact, they've looked at taking them away during the Bush administration. um, There was a a committee that made a lot of recommendations about how we could make things more simple. And one of them was to take away the mortgage interest deduction. And of course, folks freaked out about that. You you can't take that away. And and that's going to be kind of the challenge that you're going to face the whole way through. Yeah, don't touch it. Well, and um, I guess we were just reading an article in the Atlantic that I'm sure you saw that was about that pe- Americans like paying taxes. They see it as patriotic. They see it as except we don't like how it's being spent either. So right, that's right. the problem. Well, I mean, it's funny because I do think you know, for all the people complain, I do think that in this country we do feel good about the fact that you know that, that we're we're. It's a, it, we have a voluntary system. I mean, I know people don't feel like it's voluntary, and I don't mean it's voluntary in that you choose whether or not you pay, but, you know, in some countries, they will basically file your return for you. I mean, we have oh. a pay-as-you-go system, yeah. so, you know, we file at the end every year and say this is what we paid and this is what we owe extra, and if you're self-employed, you make your estimated payments as you go. All of that's sort of on the honor system. We don't have Big Brother looking over our shoulder auditing every single return every year. And I think that's one of the reasons why Americans do feel like, you know, they're they're voluntarily doing, it is their obligation, but it, they're voluntarily doing it. Someone's not twisting your arm, even though I know this, this specter of penalties and interest and all that kind of stuff is kind of scary. But most people pay their taxes not because they're scared of Uncle Sam, but because they think it's the right thing to do. Right, right. I mean, I, and I mean, there's benefits. It's, uh, we're going to pay one way or another, you're, and you're going to pay for certain benefits in this world or not. But uh, talk about with the high tech world. That's one of the things I worry about. It, it seems like now more than ever, you might be subject to, um, to having somebody steal your information. You're putting a lot of important information out there as you're passing documents back and forth between your, um, your accountant and yourself and even the IRS. How do you make sure you don't get scammed or you don't also have somebody steal your identity and information? you know, it's becoming increasingly more difficult because, as you pointed out, a, a lot of the information that's being transmitted, we don't even have control over. So you don't have control over which payroll service is, um, you know, sending your information, which, um, you know, where your accountant is holding your information. Um, a, a lot of that kind of stuff you don't have any control over. So, uh, you know, everybody wants to freak out about IRS and, and whether or not they are completely secure but, you know, IRS is, is kind of the last step. There's a lot along the way. If you're using um, an accountant or an attorney or if you're using um, even software, if you're using TurboTax or Intuit or something like that, um, you know, all of those folks now have your information. Mm. So, you know, you're not going to be able to, on your end, control that. But what you can control is how much information you put out there. And a lot of the, the theft that's going on is happening well before the information even gets transmitted. It's it's things like when you give out your social security number far too often and somebody already has that information and then they can start using that information to hack into other systems. Ugh. Oh, man. Or now there's these scams, I guess, where they're calling and saying that they're the IRS and they need you to make your a payment and you need to make it by credit card right now or they're going to arrest you. Absolutely. They do that as well with email. And the thing to keep in mind is that um, IRS will not uh, institute contact with you by phone or by email. That's not to say that if you don't have a relationship with them, like if you have a problem that you've been working through, you might get a phone call. But they're not going to call you out of the blue and say, 
you know, you owe us money and here's what you have to do. So, um, you know, and if you ever get those kinds of calls and you know that you owe money and you're thinking, well, what if it really is the IRS? The easy way to not be a victim is to hang up and then call back, but call the IRS directly yourself. And actually, that's really good um, advice for any time you think it's a scam, if it's your credit card, your bank, any of those folks that you think, you know, you get a phone call and you think, what if this is legitimate? You take some information, you ask for an account number, you hang up, and then you call the number that you know is the right number. You call the number that's on the back of your bank card. You call the IRS directly using yeah. their 1-800-829-1040 number. And, and then they'll have you in the system and have notes about the last person that called you or contacted you. Exactly. And if they're legitimate, no harm, no foul. And if it was a scam, then you just um, you know escaped from the scam. Dodged so. a bullet. Then you dodged it. Is it um, talk about like payment? So even if somebody today is filing an extension, for example, you need to make your payment today, or you're in, I guess, or you're you're breaking the law. Well, it's, it's so you're you're subjecting yourself to increased penalties. So I can tell you, um, I have my my checks in hand today. I have to walk them over to the post office, and um, you pay. When you and I'm filing for extension, a lot of taxpayers, about 10 million taxpayers, will file for an extension today. Um, so if you file for extension, if you um, aren't going to be ready to to um, file your tax return on time, but you still have to pay, so you're paying today whether you're filing a return or an extension. And the reason that you do that is so that you don't subject yourself to penalty and interest. And you know, there's a lot of scary. Um, articles out there about how you can also land in jail, because you're right that it is the law that you have to pay. But generally, if you're just, you know, Joe taxpayer and, and you don't have the money, um, you know, IRS doesn't lock you up for that. Right. Generally, the folks that you see that are on TV, you know, the Westless Names of the World, there's something else going on there usually. Um, but if you can't, if you don't have the money to pay, you know, the IRS is also willing to work with you. There are other options. You can, you can have an installment plan where they allow you to pay over time. Um, if you genuinely can't pay and you have no assets because maybe something's happened, you've lost your job and you have no income at all, they can actually put you in, in what's called uncollectible, um, where they are kind of agreeing that they're not going to ba- uh, badger you for a little bit. Um, but that doesn't mean it goes away, but it means that they're going to stop calling you for a, a period of time so that you can kind of get yourself together hmm. and, then, and then make payments. So there's lots of options out there. They're not out to get your blood. Exactly. I mean, it's funny. I think that there's this, you know, IRS is considered a pretty unpopular federal agency, but they're just collecting. They're doing their jobs. And, you know, I've found and I've been practicing for for a while now, you know, most of the time, uh, you know, they're people, too. The people on the end of the phone, you know, they, they understand. They understand that your mom died or that you lost your job or that you got really sick. And if you just make an effort to let them know what's going on, a lot of times you can get a break. I mean, again, kind of the horror stories. And I understand that there are horror stories sometimes when it's not your fault. But the horror stories you tend to hear tend to be people who don't open the mail, who, um, you know, refuse any kind of effort to be cooperative. And mostly because they're scared. But, you know, the folks on the other end don't know that that's why you're not answering the phone right. or why you're not responding to mail, they think you're just not being cooperative. So the best thing that you can do, I always say my best piece of advice is always open the mail. You know, and if they're <laughs> yeah. saying if they're saying we're gonna lean you or we're gonna leave you, which is pretty bad, you know, leave you is when they take money out of your bank account. You don't want that to happen either because that makes a bad situation worse. So you wanna you wanna look and see what they're asking you to do and then fill out some paperwork or give them a call. Or when I was like I was mentioning the installment agreement and some 
uh, situations such as certain lower level installment agreements, you don't even have to talk to a real person. So you don't even, you know, you don't have to commit. You can go online to irs.gov and fill out your installment agreement right there online. Hmm. Now, and, and this was uh, this was an interesting thing. I guess now is kind of a collection agency for the government. It was the first time I r- realized that I had to basically validate um, that I that I had health care insurance. Yes, so that's because of the new health care laws, and um, you have to either have health insurance that's been provided to you by the government or an employer. You have to purchase it on your own. Or have an exemption, and there are exemptions available in circumstances where maybe you can't afford it or other reasons. And if you don't have any of that, then you're going to be subject to a penalty. And last year, the penalties were pretty low. I can't remember what they are this year. I want to say they're about 600. I mean, they're, they're going up, and they're going to increase every year. And it's the government's way of saying, you know, if you don't have an excuse, you need to have insurance. Mm. And so if you if you have an employer... Um, you probably got a form in the mail that was a little confusing. That yeah. was kind of a bunch of boxes with some X's in it um, by month. And that is uh, the information that your employer is providing to you and to the government that says these are the months for which we provided health care coverage for you. Hmm. And if, if any of those boxes are missing, you know, you have to explain why that is. And it might be because you switched jobs. That happened to me last year. I switched jobs. So I switched insurance. Um, so, you know, there there may be reasons, so you shouldn't panic if, if all the little boxes aren't checked. But, you know, you should be make, um, be ready to have an explanation for why that isn't the case if you don't have a waiver already. Yeah. Wow. It's the, and again, I, so it sounds like, you know, there, this isn't going to get simplified. In fact, it almost got a little more complicated because of the health care thing this year. And I guess every year from here on out. Is it mm-hmm. is it just is it kind is it inherent now that you need help? You need to get a, another professional. Uh, you know, I think it is, and you know, and I, that's not to say that I don't think that that products out there like TurboTax and Tax Act aren't good because I think they are, and I think there are certain circumstances where those can be useful, especially if your situation is really straightforward. But the interesting thing is the amount of time and stress that people put into trying to figure it out. If you're going to pay a little bit already for tax software and still be stressed. You know, why not pay the extra and have somebody who will, you know, hold your hand or talk to you about what's going on? Um, you know, I, I'm a tax professional and I have an accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I joke a lot that it's because I, I wanted to save my marriage. But my, <laughs> my husband and I, every year at tax time, because we own a business together and, um, you know, have our regular individual taxes on top of that. It was a stressful time, and on some point, you know, at some point, the stress and the time that you put into it isn't worth it. And, and I have t- clients who literally are concerned all of the time that they're going to get audited. Like, even though they haven't done anything wrong, it just, it just, they're those kinds of people, and it consumes them. Yeah. And I do think when you have someone that you can pick up the phone and say, you know what, I'm a little worried because I realized I just found a 1099 that I didn't put on my return. Am I going to jail? And they can say, you know, we can fix this. You know, there's a lot to be said for, you know, paying for that and, and feeling a lot better about it being easy. And again, I don't prepare returns anymore, but I strongly, strongly recommend it for my taxpayers because I think just for, again, peace of mind with all of these extra little bits, because, you know, now they're they're also cracking down on foreign accounts. We've heard a lot about it in the mail. Right. And I, I think people always think, 
foreign accounts are going to be for rich people. But, you know, there are a lot of my clients who have a cousin in Greece that, you know, left them some money in a bank a long time ago, and it wasn't that much money, but it still put them over the threshold. Or, you know, my, my grandmother in Thailand died and left an account or, or, or some stocks because the threshold is just $10,000. Mm. And that's total of all of your foreign accounts. So, so that's actually, it's, it's a lot more than, I think, a lot more taxpayers are affected than you would think. Right. And then the other one that gets affected a lot with that are students who go abroad, who open up an account for one year. All of a sudden, now they're subject, and I did that as when I was in college and, and grad school. I went abroad and had bank accounts over there. That subjects you to the rules, too. So, you know, with all of those extra pieces... It's really nice to have somebody that can pick you on the shoulder and say, hey, don't forget, you know, on your schedule B just to check that little box. Yeah. Oh, Kelly, great insight. Um, appreciate you and, and the great work you're doing. Kelly Herb, thank you again. And everybody, go check out her website, www.taxgirl.com. You'll get right to her blog on Forbes. She's a treasure, a national treasure, especially on today, uh, the day tax day. She's going to walk you through all of your issues there. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, helping you live longer and pay your taxes stronger, whether you want to or not. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, buddies, uh, tax day. Do not do not despair. We're here for you on the show. No, it's hard. And if you're just getting it together today, uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> you are in trouble. Or are you? No, you don't have to be. Here's the deal, though. You do have to watch out for a few things, right? Like scams. But let me tell you the top three things... The, the the IRS they're they're red flagging. You you got to watch out for this. Home offices, Ben, listen to me, brother, because you cannot count your hot your uh, your tub. It's not a hot tub; it's just a tub uh, in your dorm room as a home office. Okay, I was wondering about that. Why just, why not? Well, because it's a tub. One of the best tax benefits for individuals, according to USA Today, is the home office, right? It's a great allow a deduction that allows five bucks per square foot of home office space or actual expenses related to the business use of your home. But I'm telling you, if you claim home office, they're going to they're going to know stuff, Ben, and they're going to know you're making your potion of um, ice cream your your magical potions of ice cream. What are you calling it now? Ice cream. Okay. They're going to know you're making it in the tub. Then the health department's going to get called in. It's true. Do you think the government's organized enough to send that message? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they are. And um, so if you're going to claim your home as an office – it has to – you have to do two things to make sure it's legitimate. First, the space must be used exclusively as home office. And I would say your tub is not exclusively part of your home office. Number two, um, you you have to – a computer, for example, 
desk setup in a guest bedroom, not exclusive. Also, the home office must be the principal place your business is conducted. Right? So I'm here to help, Ben. Tub, not the principal place that you do your business. Okay. So, sorry. You might be able to deduct your cell phone. Sorry. You might be able to deduct your your flip phone. Okay. But because that is – but it's probably not exclusive. Well, it might be because I don't know that you do other things with your phone. I don't get a lot of calls. So. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people would be calling friends, you know, yeah. stuff like family, people like that. You're pretty much just yeah. – you might just be calling just people for work, people that want ice cream. Anyway, so one tax uh, red flag you got to watch out for is the home office really a home office because if it's not, folks, be careful. Number two, excessive medical and charitable deductions. So – the IRS is totally fine with you. Let's say you make a hundred grand. If you're going to claim three thousand three hundred dollars or whatever in charitable deductions, that's that's fine. That won't be strange for a hundred grand. But if you're claiming, you know, twenty thousand in charitable deductions, that may raise an eyebrow. Make sense? If twenty percent of your income is going to charity, they may wonder, like, is this guy running for office? Is this guy trying to be the pope? So watch out for that, which is interesting because, again, if you're paying – if you pay a tithe or if you pay money to your church, you may you may pay 10 percent. And uh, usually they'll probably get that. But watch out for that. Also, your medical deductions, if you – you know, you shouldn't probably have – your medical deductions, unreimbursed medical expenses should not exceed 10 percent of your annual gross income. If you're paying more than 10 percent in medical deductions, then they're going to – Get concerned now. If it's legit, it's legit. They'll they'll look at it. They'll be fine. But you know, you don't want to raise a red flag there either. And last but not least, using your vehicle exclusively for business, which wouldn't pertain to you, Ben, because you don't have a vehicle. I have a bike. Right. I guess that is a type of vehicle. Mm-hmm. But you don't use it simply to deliver ice cream. True. You okay. also go on dates. Uh, uh, you go to your doctor's appointments. You go to have those. Treatments, okay. So it's it's all the same. So just be careful, folks. Again, the I, the IRS, they're your friends. They really are. They're great people. They just they're just doing their job for heaven's sakes. So don't get mad at them. Opinions expressed reflect the opinions of the show host and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff and management of BYU Radio. Yeah, but I think BYU Radio would probably appreciate that. Thought. No, Don texted me and okay. told me to play that. Yeah, play that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, helping you. Uh, Get through this day. Again, you're blessed to live in the United States. You get to have a lot of the benefits, right? And, you know, you get safety and protection and you get to be an American. Plus, you get all the ice cream you can eat from from Ben's tub. Wait, what? Nothing. Uh, That's the first hour of the program, my friends. We'll take a break. Come back. Sit sit still. And um, we got some awesome, awesome – insight coming up. By the way, we're going to talk about Bodie McBoatface. The book has been named. I mean, sorry, the boat has been named. We'll be talking about that in about two minutes, actually about five minutes. So stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, happy Monday. This is the day. The day post the day of rest. And the children love it. It's also, uh, it's it's a day filled with excitement. It's also um, the day of the, the taxes, the tax day where you get to, you know, go turn in your joy and your love to the federal government. It's a trap. You're offering to the overlord? Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow, that's a, that's a dark way to put it. I know, but it kind of feels that way sometimes. Yeah, but it's Patriots Day in Boston. In Massachusetts, they this is the day of the Patriot. They shut down schools. It's a huge day. Huge Has nothing, party. It, it, it really isn't about taxes. That was more no. about the battles of Lexington and Concord, which, by the way. Yeah. They were quite taxing. Quite taxing. And the, one of the greatest tax revolts took place there in the Boston area. So it's fitting that today's tax day. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Just so that made sense to you. Yeah. Just grab random things, pull them all together. Make it work. By the way, National Animal Cracker Day. Yeah. Which is a day many people don't celebrate. No, but they should. Today, you should be celebrating the Animal Cracker, which made uh, being a carnivore. Mm. It was the, I think it was the, the predecessor to being a carnivore. Because if I could eat the head off an elephant, which I did as a little child, then I knew I could eat any meat. Do you prefer the ones with like frosting all over it Ooh. or the just yes. normal ones? Well, the normal ones seem to lack flavor. Unless you get them from McDonald's, then you're eating McDonald's people. I don't know if they still have those crackers. I don't know. Those were really good. The like Ronald McDonald's and mm-hmm. yeah, the Hamburglar and yeah, oh, Grimace, yeah. mm. the Fry Guys. Mm-hmm. Who else is there? I just named a bunch of guys that yeah. Ben has no idea about. Oh, I, I remember those. Do you remember I those? I just don't remember their names. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Grimace, Mc Burger. Mayor McCheese, Mayor McCheese. Yeah, those were the days. Wow, and. and you know, I used to love those cookies, but then the regular animal crackers seem more like um, stale. Yeah, like the ones they sell at Costco or the big box stores. I shouldn't say Costco. Why not? I just did. There's cause... like there's like two box stores. Yeah, <laughs> one of the two. It's uh, it's it's Animal Cracker Day. There and, you go. And um, sometime this hour, we're going to be talking about uh, Girl Scout cookies. Mm-hmm. Because it's in, according to uh, Under Armour and their great uh, MyFitnessPal, my, Fitness which everyone's tracking their, their uh, consumption and their food. We now know which I ate of two Girl Scout all cookies. the Girl Scout cookies are the most favorite. Huh? We'll get to that. But yeah. I'm not going to let that out now. I'm not going to tell you. I just see people tracking their consumption of cookies in yeah. their app. That's two Samoas? That's two, <laughs> That's two Samoas and two... Thin mints. Mm. And I'm stuffed. <laughs> that is six sleeves of thin mints and two boxes of Samoas. <laughs> and I'm just getting started. But first, let's get uh, to the headlines with Katie Jarvis. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Katie? Thanks, Matt. 
President Obama's immigration action goes before the Supreme Court today. The case confronts the question of whether President Obama exceeded his authority with unilateral action to spare millions of people in the country illegally from deportation. The case represents 26 states led by Texas that filed a suit to block the president's 2014 immigration plan. The Supreme Court is evenly divided with four liberal justices and four conservative justices following the death of conservative Antonin Scalia in February. The even split introduces the possibility of a 4-4 tie that would leave the previous lower court ruling that threw out the president's decision in place. Bernie Sanders supporters claimed record crowds in New York City. The campaign said a large crowd gathered in Brooklyn's Prospect Park just before the New York Democratic presidential primaries tomorrow. More than 28,300 people attended the event. That beat Sanders' previous record of 28,000 in Portland, Oregon. But according to polls, Hillary Clinton is still leading in both New York and California. Security is being ramped up for the Boston Marathon today. The marathon begins at 9.30 Eastern time this morning. According to officials, there will be a large number of uniformed police officers lining the course for the safety of runners and spectators. It is three years since the tragic bombings rocked the finish line of the race, and the FBI said that there is no current or credible threat to the marathon. But they will be hypervigilant about anything suspicious. In Colorado, we will see if April snow showers bring May flowers. Over the weekend, the foothills near Denver got up to four feet of snow. The spring snow is dense and heavy, and it's been reported to be weighing down trees and taking out power lines. The storm brought an entire month's worth of water to the region in just two days. But in the Denver metro area, totals were lighter. Still significant, though. The southern suburbs reported one to two feet of snow with lighter amounts in the north and the east of the city. And that's an update. Back to you, Matt. Thank you, Katie. Well done. And uh, happy Patriots Day. Not the New England Patriots. Though that that could be described that way, seeing it is it is Boston. It's it is. They could see it as Patriots it's Day. It's their it's their it's their holiday. They're having holiday today. Which is why probably the Boston Marathon goes on today. Patriots Day. That's the whole point. Didn't even know that. And there, by the way, more than patriotism, I mean, that is patriotic to the Boston Marathon. There's going to be a lot of uh, pretty powerful stuff going on there today. Um, also, we, uh, we did an interview that we recorded about a week ago that I cannot stop talking about, uh, and we're going to be playing it for you this hour. Lisa Miller, Dr. Lisa Miller, will be joining us talking about her book, The Spiritual Child. Oh, man, one of my favorite interviews ever, ever that I've ever done. Is coming up in a few minutes because spirituality is one of the number one cures or tools they have found for mental health. And Dr. Lisa Miller, PhD from Columbia, is one of the leading researchers in how spirituality heals depression, for example. Fascinating, fascinating lesson for anybody out there that, uh, you know, is a believer in a higher power and you also – if you have any you know, is- issues with mental health, physical issues, you got to listen to this segment. It's a self-healing approach? It's a self-healing but it's actually a higher power healing. So you're going to go to your higher power. But it, meaning you, you kind of have to do it yourself. You're not going to a professional or no, medication or any well, of those Some would say you're things. going to the professional. Oh, great. You know the, what I mean. The big the – big the big source. I think people are more apt to do this than mm-hmm. to go find someone to talk to. No, totally. 
Yeah, and the you funny thing mean, is, is a, a lot of people already of believe in God or a higher power, and it doesn't matter. She she'll talk about it. You're, it's it's about your ability to connect to the higher power in your life in the world, or in, that that governs your life in your world. And if you can do that, the research shows it will lead you to psychological stability and balance. And interesting research she'll bring up. If you can do it, and then your children can do it, the likelihood of them having depression drops significantly. Hmm. So if you believe in a higher power and you connect, and then your daughter, for example, believes in a higher power, her chances of depression is 70% lower than um, if she doesn't believe in this higher God, higher power. Hmm. Third generation does the same thing. Three generations believing in a higher power and connected to a higher power, the, the third generation has a 90% lower likelihood of having depression, which is crazy because 40, 40% of women have depression or will have depression at some point in their life. And this will drop it by 90%. And this isn't – let's be very clear. She's a Columbia professor. This isn't – you know, this isn't just somebody that just loves meditating. This is somebody that has academically been evaluating the impact of spirituality on your mental health. So we'll get to her in just a minute. Uh, the Spiritual Child is the name of the book. Dr. Lisa Miller, seriously, one of the most interesting interviews I've done I think ever. And also connected, I mean, spiritually, she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. So we'll get to that. But um, back in the news, uh, we, we did the story the other day about RSS Bodie McBoatface. Yes. This is the best news ever. So we were telling you, it, uh, in, somewhere in the UK, they, are, they have a new royal research ship that they're trying to name. And um, it's a $200 million ship that's going to explore Antarctica with 90 scientists on board. So what do you name it, they said. And a BBC presenter ended up jokingly naming it uh, or throwing out the RSS Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> and they then put out a bunch of other, you know, anybody could name it, name it. And the one that got the most votes, and it's official now, 124,000 votes came down for RSS Bodie McBoatface, four times more votes than its closest competitor. So it looks like that will be the name of the boat. If they decide to go with that name. It's a $200 million boat with 90 researchers on board. I think everyone will call it that. I think it'll be called like the USS, you know, Invegor. The the RRS. Some name they'll put out, the Challenger, whatever. No, it's going to be Bodie McBoatface. And the guys are going to then have t-shirts made up that I'm on the RSS Bodie McBoatface. Yeah. That'll be the joke And there'll be a duck that talks like this. It'll bring lots of kids to the research vessel as they land in Antarctica. Isn't that fantastic? Bodie McBoatface. This is why you've got to be careful making a joke. One joke well, becomes just this incredible viral... Rethink posting anything to just anyone on the internet. Yeah. Maybe name the boat yourself. Maybe Duh. take the 90 scientists and have them pick something. Oh, can you imagine? It would have been something the more... RSS. Yeah. Investigator, or, or named after someone who had some, yeah, you know, key key uh, step in the process for the boat, or or an explorer, or somebody. Yeah. I think you, you can't beat you can't beat Bodie McBoatface. It's a good name. And I think what they ought to do on the front of the ship, on the bow of the ship, is make a big smiley face. There you with go. Two eyes. Don't you think? It's a World War II bomber at that point. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
but without the bombs. Right. It's just bringing knowledge and the scientific method. <laughs> so be looking for it in ports near you. RSS Bodie McBoatface and 90 really <laughs> angry researchers on board. Embarrassed. Um, uh, by the way, anything else going on, Terry, that there, you've been some, paying There's some to? news I think is going to impact quite a few people. What? Give them more choice, maybe better selection. I'm not sure. Mm. So you, uh, we, we talked before, you, you, you subscribe to both Amazon Prime yes. and Netflix. Yes, yes. Roger that. Uh, for customers who are wary of locking themselves into a $99 year-long Amazon Prime membership, a new pay-by-the-month option announced Sunday by the company could be enticing, especially for the streaming perks offered by Prime Video. Mm-hmm. Amazon is in this to win before video was an afterthought to, uh, fr- to free shipping. Now it's top of mind. In order for uh, this to, su- to succeed, they're going to have to market it and spend a lot of money on new content, content says uh, this reporter a quote from the uh, Hollywood Reporter: Netflix recently increased its price to nine ninety nine a month for a standard membership. Mm. Hulu charging eleven ninety nine a month. Amazon undercuts its video competitors by charging eight ninety nine for a Prime Video per month, with full Prime membership benefits costing ten ninety nine. So if you just want the video, because huh. they offer movies and TV yeah. shows and all that on Amazon on Amazon, Amazon Prime, you could get that for eight ninety nine a month, which undercuts everybody. But if you want to add the shipping options, then that looks like it comes to like eleven eleven ninety nine, so twelve dollars a month. Wow! But but if I've already paid for my Prime membership, you're good. I'm good. But if if you want to try this other option, so you pay per month instead of paying yeah, the entire year. To, yeah, you're not as fully invested. You obviously are just looking for a deal. So there's a bunch of stuff there. The reason they're doing this is Netflix today is announcing their quarterly earnings, which is expected to be down. Netflix is already seeing subscriber ads slow down in the fourth quarter of 2015. Its net subscriber ads went down to 1.56 million from 1.9 million a year ago. Hmm. So they're dro- there seems to be dropping back a bit. Uh, for this quarter, the company forecasts 1.7 million new subscriber ads. So they're a little behind last year's pace. Do you, do you stream? I do. On? I stream and get the DVDs. Because the, the, like the newer movies, they don't stream yeah. them on Netflix. You do get the DVDs. So over the weekend, there was a movie Creed. Yes. Right, which was the continuation of the Rocky stories. Yes, yes. That movie is only available on DVD from Netflix. Hmm. You can't stream that movie. Right. So my wife and I are like, we want to see newer movies. Yeah. And there's a bunch of movies we don't have time for. We have a kid. It just becomes difficult. So we want to watch the movie. But if they don't stream it, mm-hmm. then you have to go Netflix. So a while ago, we actually cut the streaming and it was just, we were only getting DVDs. See, okay. And then we added the streaming back because we wanted to see some of the shows they have. I've Yeah. It's, it's interesting because everybody's got a different way around all of this. So I use an, another third-party thing, group, VidAngels, what I use to stream Creed. Mm-hmm. But it streams it through Amazon. There you go. But now Amazon is trying to compete head-on with Netflix – by just kind of undercutting the price. The, uh, it said in May 2014, Netflix moved up prices on its most popular plan from $7.99 a month to $9.99 a month, but it let existing users go another two years at the old price. This is the month when they will see the $2 increase. Wow. So Amazon ex- is expecting a lot of people that are subscribing to Netflix to start looking around at other options. Maybe mm-hmm. they'll choose theirs. Just look over at Amazon. So more selection, more choice, more mm-hmm. options. 
uh, it, it will continue to improve the product and also give you some better options when yeah. it comes to payment. That's what you need. See? Choice. Sure, you pay taxes today, but you know what? You also have choice on Amazon or Netflix. Take your pick. I, I think the real problem is that you have – if you want to really try to copy your cable satellite type subscription, it costs almost as much if you try to cut the cable and get these streaming That's options. Right. It's almost yeah. the same. It's the same. And many of us end up paying for all of it anyway. That's right. Because we just don't know what to give up. We like it all too much. Well, we'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, uh, one of my favorite interviews, really, I think of all time, Lisa Miller will be joining us, Dr. Lisa Miller from Columbia University, talking about um, the heart and the spirit uh, and the spiritual child, how to, how to raise a spiritual child and the benefits of spiritual uh, living and life for your mental health. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, one of my favorite guests of all time, Dr. Lisa Miller is joining us. And the topic is why I love it, but then her depth is incredible for me. And uh, the book, The Spiritual Child, is one that I think we all need to dig into to understand ourselves, I think, better, but also our children. Uh, Here's what this is about. We, We focus so much on cognitive skills. We learn a bunch of things when we're young, cursive, spelling, math, and science. But teaching principles that the heart needs to understand is a different matter entirely and a delicate one. Even those, those, those skills about using our morality and using our character, uh, I think we may not be teaching them as much as we need to be. So our guest today is Dr. Lisa Miller. She's a professor and director of clinical psychology at uh, Columbia University, also the author of The Spiritual Child. She joins us now in studio. Dr. Miller, welcome to the show again. It's terrific to be here right here in studio with you, Matt. Thank you. I love it. And I love having you here because last time we talked over, it was, you know, it was, you were a lot, you weren't as close, but now I can actually feel your spirit. Likewise. cool. Likewise. Uh, And you're on campus here at BYU. You're going to be talking uh, and and doing some, some conversations with the students and faculty here on BYU. I'm so excited to be back here at BYU. You know, my friendship and academic relationship with BYU is nearly 20 years now. Is it now. really? How powerful. Uh, tremendous colleagues. Um, really, BYU is at the cutting edge. Yeah for the whole field of psychology on bringing spirituality and religion right into the mainstream, understanding hard times and good times from a spiritual perspective. Well, and talk about that, because historically, it seemed like we used to try to think that spirituality was kind of this this weakness of humans, (laughs) and we'd kind of box it away and then just deal with the psychology. But now we're seeing an interplay, a major interplay. Absolutely. And you're so right. You know, even 30 years ago, not so long ago, psychology had a very unfortunate view of spiritual life, which was that it was somehow a crutch for hard times. But that has changed and we've come a very long way. Spirituality is now understood because we now have a basic science of Mm -hmm. spiritual life as innate to every human being. Every single person is born from day one a spiritual being. Really? And that we can see in twin studies. We can see that in the patterns of human thriving, mm-hmm. whether we look at health and wellness or even right into the core of the person with the x-ray eyes of an MRI. Yeah, yeah. We know that we are naturally spiritual beings and that we f- thrive and we flourish when we build foremost our spiritual heart and work from a spiritual 
core. That is okay. That's amazing. Because now let me make sure. Columbia University. You got it. Almost the heart 20 of New years York. There. <laughs> <laughs> but this is to me because we've kind of you've always sensed that. I mean, Emerson talked about mm-hmm. the divine spark. The, I mean, this has always mm-hmm. been a sense. And now we can validate it scientifically. The science has been enormously helpful in putting spirituality into the center of psychology. And we now have basic science findings. For instance, if we look at twin studies, twins raised together, twins raised apart, we can see that about 30% of our capacity through which we feel the great love of the transcendent, 30% of our endowment in day one is in our genes. It's a heritable trait right there with you know, temperament, IQ, any other trait. Yeah. And yet, two-thirds of our capacity to experience love and transcendent relationship, that comes from our own development of spiritual okay. life and how we're raised. Yeah. So, you know, two-thirds socialized, one-third heritable. Mm-hmm. It looks a lot like most forms of learning and growth. Really? Yes. The very, so it is kind of, it's, it's, it's us. It's who we are. It is it's who we nature. are. It's our nature. Absolutely. The difference between spirituality and all the other variables we've looked at is that there is nothing as profoundly impactful in the human life as a personal relationship with the higher power. Really? I mean, of everything everything we could have, of good coping skills, of good uh, self-esteem, self-worth, you're saying it's the most important parenting, opportunity, anything from the outside or the inside. Financial support, social status. Anything to have been looked at by science, all of those things. Don't hold a candle to the power of a strong personal relationship with the higher power. And within the broadband view of spirituality, it is really that core. It's the heart's relationship with, you know, from a global perspective, God, Allah, Hashem, yeah. Jesus, who, yeah. whatever yeah, faith yeah, tradition yeah. one may be from, that core spiritual heart. Which tells us, I guess, because it is universal and everywhere you go, there's some higher being or power or belief system, not maybe everywhere, but there's all of these other ideas of this higher power. There's something universal driving everyone to a higher power. Absolutely. And then when we see with puberty through time around the world, there's always a coming of age ceremony. A ritual. A a ritual where we honor and know the young person is emerging as a spiritual knower, Hmm. taking up the mantle and with that responsibility. Yeah. Now you're a, now you're a, now you have agency. Now you have, or now you have choice. Now you have choice. And And we have, you know, one day nine Navajo girls showed up at my classroom in Columbia unannounced. So I said, come in. I said, come in. And they stood up and they told, first and foremost, I said, anything you want, share with us a story. They told their coming of age ceremony. Oh, wow. And and now, indeed, we see with the science that with puberty, literally biological puberty, comes an augmented spiritual capacity in girls and boys. Really? And here our traditions have known this all along. Mm -hmm. Why? So why do we fight it so much? Why does this why and why is there this dichotomy of science versus spirit? Yeah, in the past year I've been on book tour with the spiritual child and what I found is that when thoughtful people and there are millions of thoughtful yeah. people have a chance to really look at a science a clear science that says we are naturally spiritual and if that is central to how we live it is the greatest source of thriving and health known to medical or clinical science. People hear that And the left brain relaxes a little bit and they know that their critique and their logic and their sense has all been addressed and they start to 
be able to use those hard forms of knowing in tandem with other crucial forms of human knowing, intuition, knowing of the heart, Hmm. the profound importance of direct knowing or ultimate mystical knowing. People start to integrate our very many forms of human knowing. Once they know, having been raised in a very scientifically oriented society, that yes, there is absolute, you know, it's not my opinion. Yeah, right. There is a very strong body of science that Backing now. <laughs> us, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, and especially for somebody that's always kind of felt that, sensed that, that I can even, that I can connect to it and I feel that support. Mm-hmm. But then to kind of sometimes think, am I nuts? I mean, are people, do people think I'm nuts because I can refer to my, uh, to a higher power that I believe is guiding me. You know, that th- doubt creates probably confusion for most of us. And there's such joy in having what you've just expressed validated. You know, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't see science as validating spirituality, but I see it as holding a mirror, as you've yeah. just said, to what we already knew in our heart. Right, and right. there's a great delight I see in people when the knowing of the heart is mirrored with the knowing of what I might call scientific witness, Mm -hmm. the collective witness. You know, one person can stand up in a house of meeting, speak in the first person and give witness. And we know it and feel it. Science listens to a chorus of people, a study sample, Mm -hmm. you know, an N of a thousand, a data set. And that is really collective witness. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is, isn't Mm -hmm. it? And then it, and then you can still, and then you can still feel a witness of a scientific witness. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's like, yeah, okay. And you don't always need the scientific witness, but sometimes you feel like you're fighting against it or your argument isn't as loud as the argument of science. That's very, very true. I have heard so many people echo that understanding that here I've always had a spiritual heart. Here I've sensed this was Mm -hmm. true. I know there's something more. And yet I have felt so invalidated, I hear people say. In every city, Seattle, Houston, New York, I feel so invalidated for my direct heart knowing. To have a science that says this is valid, this is real, knowing of the heart actually is the greatest source Mm -hmm. of flourishing. Yeah. And don't you think maybe it's time, too, that we also don't have to differentiate necessarily the different approaches to this uh, higher transcendent power? Like now I can enjoy a Muslim's view and understand their connection to their God and a Buddhist and I mean, how powerful if we could have dialogue where we could share these ideas with each other, where we could actually not, I mean, just commune. There is absolutely a universal spirituality. It is in and through every single one of us, yeah. this capacity. And to be able to hear that deep universal spirituality in the voice of a sister or brother from another faith tradition, oh. from the other side of the earth, one that I may have never encountered before. Yeah. Or that, even understand at all. Now, I would say that is actually reflective of the greatest educational opportunity, hmm. which is to say perhaps an educational crisis that of we, our time. Yeah. That we are not yet as a society spiritually multilingual. You know, It is mm-hmm. very important to embrace one's own faith tradition, right. one's own spiritual right. path, and at the same time, hear the universal voice of spirit in the language and symbol and ritual of another. I love that. That can be taught. And in fact, by the time a child is six, if that's not taught, Mazar and Banaji and her team at Harvard found that a child is more likely to think their name for the higher power is more real than that of a family of another faith tradition at age six. Interesting. And even more likely to share their school lunch with a child who uses the same name 
for the higher power. Really? So we've got to teach spiritual multilingualism young because we have a world at war because we can't agree on the name of the higher power. That's right. The cost could not be higher. Thus the need for the spiritual child. The new science on parenting for health and lifelong thriving. We need – that's how we do it. We've, we've got to, I guess, make it a major part of our, um, of our educational process is to make sure we're teaching that. And here at BYU, you do that. Yeah. I, have, I have to say, in addition to being a center for spirituality and psychology, you are a center for interfaith discussion and yeah. welcoming people of all religious traditions. You really are a leader in yeah. that respect. I don't, I don't, doesn't that yeah. – to me, it's beautiful too just because – uh, I, I'm changed. Just the other day, we had the Archbishop of Philadelphia, and he spoke here, and I got to hear him witness his his Catholic view of God and deity and our role as humans, as children of God, in a room full of probably 8,000 Mormons. And beautiful. had a most beautiful spirit there and a standing ovation, and oh, it was incredible. And I sat there and I thought, this is so right. This is so right. Just keep bringing more people in and understanding more. We don't need to divide anymore, do we? And the standing ovation, a celebration. Oh, it was incredible. A celebration of the common love of Mm -hmm. God. That's right. And this idea that we need to we need to change the world by being by seeing the brother in each of us. And how wonderful that you're at the cutting edge of that here. That's powerful. Thank you. And and let's take a break. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Lisa Miller, author of the book, The Spiritual Child, The New Science on Parenting for Health and Lifelong Thriving. Also, go to our website, Lisa Miller, PhD, and you can learn everything you need to know. Everything you need to know about her, about her work. Uh, We'll come back. More with Dr. Lisa Miller in just a minute. Stick with us, folks. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. So, so honored, again, to have Dr. Lisa Miller with us. Uh, She is the author of the book, The Spiritual Child, Educating the Head and the Heart. Um, She's teaching us, oh, actually, the title of the book is The Spiritual Child, The New Science on Parenting for Health and Lifelong Thriving. And seriously, I just love having you here, Lisa. It's wonderful to be here with you, Matt. You are as deep a soul as I have found on earth. You You are a beautiful soul. Thank you. And I... I just feel like I know you from yes. before, yes. Or from wherever. Um, talk to me because y- you make a really big point that we have to educate the world. The spiritual side of us is natural. It's who we are. We are spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings having a spiritual experience. Yes. Teilhard de Chardin's quote, I think his name. But you talk to me. We have to educate our children at a young age about this spirituality or apparently they lose it. It's really perhaps our greatest educational crisis and also, of course, our greatest educational opportunity yeah, yeah. to start to embrace natural spirituality in the child. Day one kindergarten, even before Hmm. preschool, as parents, but also as educational institutions. We did a study. We looked at China, India, and the United States. And in every other country, the more educated that we become, the number of years in school, with each successive year, we become more spiritually aware 
in China, in India, but only in this country is education inversely associated with spirituality. Yes. We become more hard hearted. Sadly. More, yeah, more, yeah, more, uh, I guess, intellectual. And less able to perceive uh-huh. into the spiritual we reality. We lose the eyes to see. We lose the eyes to see, the heart to know, mm-hmm. and the will for spiritual activism. Are these mm-hmm. other countries, China and India, are they teaching spiritual things in their classroom? So that's the very interesting point. I think in other countries, even when explicit expression of religion is yeah. forbidden, there is still in the daily course a spiritual awareness uh-huh. as understood in deep universal ways. Interesting. For instance, we looked around the world and found there were five, what you might even call as phenotypes uh-huh. in our very wiring, five phenotypes of innate spirituality. One was a perception of love as a powerful transforming force. Love is not just an emotion like happiness. It is like gravity or magnetism. It moves things. Mm. Everyone on earth gets that. Everyone. Everyone. Universal. Universal. And yet if we look country to country, it is actually higher in China than in the United States. The concept of getting love as a power love is, is a power. lower in the United States than in China. Where explicit expression of religion wow. is not always allowed, right? So this is our birthright. This is who we are. And it's at play unless we silence the spiritual life. Interesting. And I think in a very unfortunate way, we have muted the spiritual awareness of our children through an implicitly materialist education. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's sell books. Let's make more money. Let's drive this economy. And your children are so often viewed as part of the economy. Yeah, right. You know, pick up and drop off. How was the math test? Did you win today? You know, how was the production at, at school today? Transaction. Yeah, just versus you are such a ray of light. Uh-huh. I am so happy to yeah. see you. You seem happy. You Tell seem me about happy. what made you happy today. I'm so blessed to be your parent. Hello, Wonderful. welcome home. Yeah. Another thing we see around the world is an understanding of our oneness, our interconnectedness. Again, China, India, everyone gets a basic perception of our interconnectedness and oneness. And yet in this country, we are blinded by separateness. Yeah, divisiveness. divisiveness. I mean, you see it in the political world. And yet they could talk about, they, they, may, they could even be from a religious kind of focused political party. And yet we see division, not unity. We We see how we're separate, not whole. So I think we can invite everyone into a discussion of universal spirituality where everyone's entitled to speak in the first person in their own language, their own tradition. And we can hear each other through the first person Mm -hmm. right into their soul, what they're really saying and know it with our own heart. And that divisiveness is more Mm -hmm. here than in any of these other countries you studied. And part of, I think, the opportunity is in the schools Mm -hmm. to have a respect for core spirituality. Part of it is our opportunity, of course, as parents. Yeah, right, right. Right. And when we've looked at the data, there's nothing more powerful than a parent sharing his or her own spiritual life with their child. The child is absolutely riveted. And that includes the hard times. You know, mommy was in a time of struggle and darkness. And I opened my heart and I prayed and I felt that great light. I felt the buoyed up love of God. I felt the connection with whatever language might be mm-hmm. in that home. Right, you know, right. Um, even if it's life itself yeah, or the universe. Yeah, just like the powers. Yeah, whatever. Mother nature, whatever your source is. Yeah. Uh, loving, guiding, transcendent. I love Ultimate that. 
presence. So, And we can teach that by modeling it, talking about it, showing it, using that voice. Running the narrative on our own inner mm-hmm. life. If we say, I'm going to pray now, would you like to sit by my side? Or I'm going to meditate. Do you want to be here? Do you want to finish my prayer? Is there something you'd like to read to the family? Interesting. Then yeah. it's that beautiful interweave that in the bonds of our human love is the great transcendent presence, what I might call in the spiritual child, the field of love, that interweaving of the great sacred presence through the ultimate commitment and love of family. Mm. Now, the LDS community gets that. Yeah. Yeah. We're big into that, aren't we? Family and the kind of the connectivity of generations, which is why genealogy is such kind of a spiritual pursuit. And family is a sacred, highest, ultimate. This is it. This is our ultimate goal. And, and you're saying that really is that's a perfect idyllic, I guess, incubator for a spiritual being. The science says that, you know, it's not enough to pick up a book, any good book yeah, at 20. Right. It's the lived spiritual relationship of parent and child that fosters the core of the child. And by the age of six. By the age of six, it's underway. But of mm-hmm. course, as we know, yeah, through we, childhood and puberty, yeah. it is that bond of the family you know, the love of the parent Mm -hmm. that is a taste of the sacred divine love. And in fact, I've had students say, you know, I grew up in the former Soviet Union. My father never spoke about religion. We were afraid we'd be persecuted. I never heard the word spirituality. But you know what? I am deeply spiritual. I am. Do you know why? Because my father loved me. I mean, he loved me. And when I think about God, it's all wrapped up in the taste of my father's love. Isn't that it? It is. That's where it can be unspoken because it's still felt. And it is that love of a parent is the sacred presence. Uh And the data now holds a mirror to that. The data says that if spiritual life comes through your mother, it is 80% protective against depression. If spiritual life comes through your mother and your grandmother, now three generations. Okay, so spiritual life meaning? A personal relationship with the higher power. The higher power. And so if grandma has it and mom has it and you have it. Three generations. Yeah. I am 90% less likely to have severe recurrent major depression. Unbelievable. There is nothing as powerful as spiritual life as passed through the generations. When the torch is passed from grandma Hmm. to mom to child. It's the inoculator. Yes. To humanity. Yes. That is powerful. Is it it, uh, spirituality or religiosity? Well, that's a very good point. So for 66% of people in the United States, a deep, authentic spiritual life is held in their faith tradition. Right. And for about 30%, spiritual life exists outside of faith tradition. They'll say in nature, in my relationship Mm -hmm. with my family, I feel spiritual life. And there's a few number of folks who feel religious, but not spiritual. They'll say, it is my culture, it is my heritage. So There is in every single one of us an innate capacity for spirituality, a deep compass, an endowment to feel the transcendent, to see into the spiritual bedrock, to perceive. That is in us. But the extent to which that's cultivated and how is about two-thirds an embrace very often of religion and faith tradition. Now, the only time people get in trouble, we've seen statistically, is when we have a strong adherence to creed absent the spiritual heart. Right. And that wreaks havoc both on the individual and the collective. Yeah. So if all of a sudden you are seemingly practicing or using religion, but not having the, the connection and the heart, the love. The love. And then you're, then it's a facade. 
And then we don't see the benefits that otherwise yeah. are derived. So mm-hmm. it, it actually might induce stress, it seems like, because you're a counterfeit. Well, and when teens find themselves in challenging and questionable situations with alcohol, with sex, they, absent the spiritual connection, actually are not able to cope. Oh, wow. So that rigid adherence to creed minus the deep felt spirituality actually Uh is associated with having crossed the line difficulty with substances and difficulty handling intricate situations. So it really is, uh, it's an advantage in almost every, I guess, in every way to, to at least talk about what you believe. And for the parent to live it and show it. You know, uh-huh. um, if I get in a little tiff with the woman at the checkout counter, awkward as it feels, I need to go back with my kid by my side yeah. and apologize yeah. and say, I'm sorry to you. And then also, I'm sorry to God. Yeah. Because today was a gift and I, I spoiled a little bit of today. I'd like to repair this, renew it, and rejuvenate oh, it. And when we repair things with one another mm-hmm. and with loving higher power, There's a rejuvenation taught to the child, a possibility, and an awareness that our every act is Mm -hmm. of significance. The spiritual clock always runs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I guess connect all goodness. I mean, mean, this seems to me our ability to forgive somebody, our ability to let go of our past, our ability to overcome our fears. There's all of these, our shames, our guilts. They're all connected to the spiritual self. And as a parent, we can be honest and open and say, you know, I felt guilty. I felt shameful that I did this. And I am going to apologize and try to repair it in Mm -hmm. my action. And would you sit by my side while I try to repair it and replenish us as family with God? Yeah, yeah. That is the greatest gift we can give our children. And it requires a humility on our part and openness and transparency on our part. And yet science says when we share of our spiritual heart with our children. It is the most generous and important contribution we can make to their inner life and even their outward path. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess when you think about it, even maybe more important than getting them into the best school. Oh, we stand on our head with parents, you know, extracurricular travel, soccer, three tutors, learn this instrument and then this one too. And yet the science says there's nothing as profoundly helpful to the child as a core inner heart, a Mm -hmm. spiritual inner life, even in terms of outward success. Unbelievable. If you look at college freshman GPA, there's four practices in living that predict GPA above and beyond IQ. You got to eat breakfast. You got to get your sleep. Keep a planner so you show up. And spiritual reading and reflection is directly reflected in GPA. If you've had a prayer and read your scriptures that You have a bigger world and you see things in proportion and you're buoyed up by a path that is a true authentic path of calling and purpose. That's beautiful. You know, any given day, if I'm here for myself or if I'm here to shine as Mm -hmm. an individual, then, okay, today's great. I got an A on the math test, but tomorrow's not great because I got a C. If I'm here as a soul on earth, if you've taught me as my parent that I'm here as a soul on earth, then when today I got a C, that's just noise amongst a much bigger trajectory of meaning and purpose Mm -hmm. and contribution. I'm here as a soul on earth to give. That's right. I'm here to give. And and then we turn outward. Then the the, the arrows aren't about us anymore. They're not turned into us. Now that I know what I know, I turn them up to my God, my deity, and then I turn them out to my brothers and sisters. And that's a much bigger life. And that's therapy, right? I mean, that's healthy. That's just cathartic. Then it's not about me. 
And, you know, we've put people in an MRI, the very same nice person, and had them tell us two stories. One is a story of stress. One is a story of their sacred relationship. When we hear the young person, 18 through 25, college student, New Haven, tell us a story about stress. It is never about the time I climbed Everest or the time I grappled (laughs) with, you know, Mandarin or it is a story about, I've got to get into this school. I've got to get this job. I've got to have this happen for me. And that lights up in the MRI, the same part of the brain associated with craving and drug addicts. Oh, wow. Our chronic stress in our culture is an attachment. It is in a craving stance. Yeah, yeah. And it has to do with the self-focus, the atomistic yeah. self, in hot pursuit of what we think in an ego-based level we want. Now, right. take that same person, because we're all good at yeah, heart. Yeah, yeah. Put the hand on the gear shift, shift it from the stress and craving story to the spiritual narrative. And these stories, of course... Are beautiful. Uh-huh. I was in a dark time of doubt and I opened my heart and I felt the great presence of God. I felt the love. I felt the brightness and I knew things were as they were meant to be. Or I returned home from college to my faith tradition, sat by my family's side. And as we said the prayers with which I'd grown up, I felt this illumination. I felt the presence, the loving presence. And I knew life was as it should be. That's a different story. Totally. Same kid. Yeah. Now, when that college student shifts the narrative to the spiritual story, no more craving brain. Right. And what lights up instead are the regions of perception. The life that we see becomes bigger and fuller. Emotional perception. Yeah. Life has more pixels. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have greater definition. And you see into reality. Yeah. You Greater your, movement. Yeah, you're less cornered. There's and, more opportunity. And you see life as it really is yeah. more yeah. than abundant. before. Abundant. That's what uh, Christ said. I, I am here to give you life more abundantly. Beautiful. That's a choice of how we use our inner life. Isn't that amazing? Same kid. Wow. And the brain reflects it. Yeah. Well, and again, back, and an addiction, it's the, it would be the source of the addiction too, right? Just this, the way we think, the way we perceive. Right. And of course, addiction to substance, but yeah. addiction to having. It's the golden calf, uh-huh. right? right? right, right. Got to have this, got to have that. Whether it's money or this job or this something else. Yeah. And that is a narrowing field. It gives us a smaller life. Yeah. And the lack of attachment, the surrender, and the connection with the ultimate reality opens up a much more abundant life. You're amazing. Dr. Lisa Miller, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. Seriously, this is is my favorite show ever. This is a great (laughs) honor and joy and is deeply meaningful to me. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. And I wish you all the success in your speaking here at BYU and life, of course. I look forward to speaking today. You're going to be great. And I'm going to go start directly teaching my children as much as I can. You've motivated me. I bet they've already seen a lot through you, Matt. They have. We, we, we have a really a f- thing I affectionately call the prayer fight every night at my house because mm-hmm. we have a family prayer, but the kids are like not wanting to. So it always it kind of starts with a fight and then it turns into a spiritual moment. Beautiful. beautiful. Beautiful, the prayer fight. Uh, Dr. Lisa Miller is her name. The book is called The Spiritual Child, The New Science on Parenting for Health and Lifelong Thriving. Go to lisamillerphd.com to get more information about that and everything she does. She's a gift to the world. Thanks again, Lisa. It's a joy. Thank you. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll continue uh, just this hour of the Matt Townsend Show. I don't know that you can get more profound than what we've just been through, but uh, we'll see if we can elevate your life even further. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Ah, no, I, I really did. I love that interview. Everyone's like, you're just, you're just so into her. But the topic is fascinating to me. Because I see all of us that are sitting here, you know, going to church, trying to be healthy people, Christians believing in what they believe in, and yet so miserable, a bunch of us. So how could we be so supposedly spiritually inclined, but miserable physically or emotionally or, you know, financially, so many different ways? Well, maybe we just need to walk our own walk, talk Quit talking about it and just start living it. Hmm. Anyway, uh, another way, I think, though, to elevate your spirituality, obviously community service and helping the Girl Scouts. What better way to help the Girl Scouts than buying some cookies from them? According to statistics gathered by data scientists at Under Armour from their food tracking app MyFitnessPal, We are in the middle of what could be considered Girl Scout cookie season, right? But utilizing three years of data obtained from the app by more than one million users, this is what they found out. If you are about to buy some Girl Scout cookies and you want to make sure that you buy the most popular brand or version, um, this is what you need to be focusing on. What would you say of all of their choices? Okay, so the the Samoas, hmm. Those are good. Tagalongs, yeah, those are pretty good too. Um, Thin Mints, Benjamin, what would you say? Best cookie? Samoas. Samoas. I'll be again because you lived in Hawaii. No, just because they're really good. Okay, because you like yourself some coconut and uh, caramel. Oh, and shortbread, chocolate drizzle. Mm, 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 mm. Personally, I am a Thin Mint guy myself, and that puts me. In the lead. Not to brag. Ben, shut your mouth, pal. No, shut your mouth. Just shut it. Ooh, nothing to slurp, Ben. No, I, I got some milk as well. It's really, really good. Ben, this is gross. How could you chew and talk at the same time? You just did it. You were chewing and talking. I, I don't know. The Thin Mints, folks, they are, according to my fitness pal data, far and away the most popular Girl Scout cookie with twice as many instances of tracking as the runner-up Samoas. So you're unoriginal. Yes, I absolutely am. And I love me some Girl Scout cookie Thin Mints, and I like to eat a sleeve at a time. I don't know what that does to me physically, but my wife says it causes heart disease. But I said it makes me thin. Well, you can either live longer miserably or live shorter happily. Amen, brother. That is great advice. Brought to you by a guy that makes ice cream in his bathtub. Yep. (laughs) Thin Mints. Uh, Terry's uh, just coming in, and we don't even have time to talk to him. But uh, Terry, we know, is obviously a tag-along guy uh, because that's the third most popular cookie. Uh, Mint. Thin Mint, folks. Go have a Thin Mint on Dr. Mint. Or a Samoa. Just prefer the Thin Mint myself. That's it, folks. Hour number two of the show. Stick with us. In about six minutes, we're going to do it all over again. And uh, more tools, more fun ideas to help you live longer and love stronger. We'll be back.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Happy Monday morning. Happy tax day. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. I love taxes. I love them too. In fact, the research uh, that we were just reading in the first hour shows that Americans are okay paying taxes. In fact, in the 80s, we used to only one in five tax proposals would be passed through as legislation. Now it's about half of them, right? So apparently we like it. I don't have to pay taxes, so I'm fine with it. Whoa, 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 whoa. I get all of my tax money back. Yeah, but you paid it. Yeah, but then they give it back to me. Right. Well, you overpaid. For now. That's well, what That's what happens when you get money back is you've overpaid. Yeah, but like... They're making money on I didn't, your money. I didn't have to pay anything, and so they've given me everything back that I gave them. Well, you paid whatever you took out of your check, right? They mm-hmm. took it out of your check, and then you, because of the charity... That you run, uh, Ben's right. are us charity. Give Ben money. Give give Ben money. Make ice cream in tub. dot com dot com. Um, it's actually dot org. Oh, dot net. In, in case anybody yeah. wants, because uh, it is a charitable for tax issues. Yeah, yeah. but so yeah, you tax get your money reasons. back. See, some of us pay. Like mm-hmm. we, they take it out of our checks, and we still pay. That must be hard. Yeah, it's really hard. He said that sarcastically. He did. I am this close to jumping over this table. <laughs> I will come across this table. <laughs> if I wasn't so tired from my day of rest yesterday, then, oh, I'd be over this table. No, because there's, today's also National Animal Crackers Day, which means it's, it's also a good day. Don't be sad about taxes. Come on. We've got a great uh, show today. We are going to be talking about a new uh, radio program coming up here on BYU Broadcasting called Worlds Awaiting, and we'll be speaking with the host, Rachel Wadham, about child um, literacy. The goal is, right, to get our kids reading books, getting interested in books, and who better to teach us than Rachel Wadham, who is an advocate for, uh, for literacy, but more importantly, a librarian, for heaven's sakes. And she has, she's got a wonderful program that we'll be highlighting today so that you can get your kids – get your kids a reading. And uh, one of the things I, – I've been on the show and I talked about the fact that I wasn't a big reader, believe it or not. I didn't like uh, – I did. I mean I liked reading. But I did – I didn't really love a lot of my books until I got into – until I was about 17. Then I started reading more self-help. I don't like fiction. I, my life – I liked being – I was curious already. I didn't need somebody giving me more worlds to un, to open up. I just had to deal with my own. That's why I climbed on my roof and fixed my air conditioner and learned how to break into my house five different ways because I was not reading. <laughs> if I had been reading, oh, we would have done much less damage to my home. But uh, we'll be talking to Rachel Wadham and uh, and finding out all about her program that airs every Saturday at 1.30 Eastern time right here on BYU Radio. We also will be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. But before we get to all of that, let's get to Katie Jarvis, find out about the headlines around the rest of the country. Katie? 
Thanks, Matt. According to recent polls, none of the 2016 presidential candidates are viewed favorably by a majority of the American public. The least unpopular candidate of the 2016 race is Governor John Kasich, who is also the least well-known. Senator Bernie Sanders is the only candidate getting more popular over time in the poll. 45% view him positively and 36% view him negatively. None of the other candidates even come close to a 50% favorability rate. Hillary Clinton had a big drop from the previous poll in March. In the new poll, Donald Trump is also slightly less popular, with 65% viewing him unfavorably and 24% favorably. Ted Cruz also dropped to 49% unfavorable, 26% favorable. And a woman is likely to be featured on the new $20 bill design. U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew is expected to announce that Alexander Hamilton's face will stay on the $10 bill and that a woman will replace Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill. Previously, Lou had said that he was considering a redesign of the $10 bill to include the image of a woman. There was a total uproar, fueled in part by the recent fandom of the Broadway musical Hamilton. The outbreak motivated officials not to take Hamilton's picture off of the $10 bill. A mural depiction of women's suffrage movements will be on the back of the bill. Authorities say local Zika outbreaks in the United States are likely. The United States has seen more than 350 cases of people who were infected abroad and then returned to the country, but has yet to confirm a case where someone has been infected within its borders. But unfortunately, that's likely to change. Health officials expect to see some bitten by mosquitoes here this coming summer and have them contract Zika, but they don't expect a large number of people to fall ill. And a Michigan husband and wife have been told they could face up to 93 days in jail and a $500 fine over two unreturned library books. It started in the summer of 2014 when their son checked out a Dr. Seuss book for their granddaughter. It was somehow misplaced and the son, who was a minor at the time, did not tell his parents about the notices the library was emailing to his account. The mother said she first found out about the ordeal when the library told her that the late charges would hit her credit report. She was battling stage 3 kidney kidney disease at the time and her husband was being tested for cancer and because of the medical bills the couple did not have the money to pay the fees when they finally tried to pay in february of 2016 the library refused because they had not paid the diversion fees for each book all of this resulted in the couple appearing in court last week to plead not guilty to larceny of rental equipment she and her husband are due back in court on may 3rd and that's the update for today back to you matt thank you katie jarvis Nailed it. Hey, um, happy, by the way, Patriots Day. It's the official holiday in Massachusetts. Also uh, the home of the Patriots. You're pretty hung up on that. The Patriots. It's did, also, did that just hit you? No. That those two things kind of coincide? No. Okay. But, you know, you gotta, if you're going to say Patriots Day and then it's the holiday of Massachusetts, they're all, everyone's thinking, oh, New England Patriots. It's also the home of Deflategate. Hmm. Patriots and game. Filmgate. Filmgate. Remember where they recorded the opposing team? Got caught. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Illegal practice filming day. But it's as I learned from a TV show, it's only cheating if you get caught. Right? right. If you do it before, it's called being savvy. Mm, unless isn't it seems like it would be more if if it's just against the rules. No. If you don't get caught, it's savvy. If you get caught, it's cheating. Hmm. Tell that to the police officer. Again, he's not going to stop you unless it's illegal, and, and it only becomes illegal if he's going to enforce a punishment. 
That's pretty slippery. Yeah, I was going to say there's a slippery slope. <laughs> I don't know there. who told you that, but you need to quit <laughs> it's listening only, to him. It's only wrong if you get caught. It's only wrong. It's also <laughs> National Animal Cracker Day. So if you are a, um, if you have to choose between mm. animal crackers and some other cookie, mm. like right now, I'd probably be going with Girl Scout cookies. Okay. What would you choose? Animal crackers, Girl Scout cookies. Probably a Girl Scout. Yes. You, your answer is correct. That is the correct answer. You didn't know you were being tested, but that is a test. Just because, you know, animal, animal cracker I see as more of something you give a, a small child as they're teething. None oh. of those, they're like teething cookies, but if you give them an animal cracker, it kind of does the same thing. Well, sure. It's a little smaller. They might, you know, choke on it, but, you know, depends on your kid. I think there's many people that uh, don't like animal crackers because animals should be treated better than that. Right. It should say on the box, no animals harmed in the making And I'm always like, no, first I'm going to take their legs off. Mm. Then if I can, I'm going to go for the head. And they're in that circus box uh-huh. thing. Those, now, weird. the circus box ones are really good. You like those? Those are, those are better, higher quality. Those, I think they have more sugar. Probably. Yeah. It'd make it more realistic if they looked more like animals because then when you're biting their head off, you'd really feel like you were. Like killing an animal. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you're dark, Ben. You're dark. He's a dark, dark, He's a dark man. man. We know this. It, it sounded different coming out than, than what you were thinking yeah. about. Yeah. But, um, no, it's dark. Sometimes it's just worth just you know sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Benjamin. It's also uh, Boston Marathon Day. Did you hear about this guy that fell asleep? Where? You know, he's a FedEx Express worker. Oh, yeah. Loading an airplane. Apparently, he took a nap on an airplane. And the airplane took off from Memphis to Lubbock, Texas, and he fell asleep. He said unintentionally, of course. Sure. I mean, it happens. Right. You just doze off. I mean, how many times on this show have we just looked over and Ben's asleep? Quite a bit. But it's right. fine because but, there's large stretches of time. Right. And, he's, and okay. he's not on an airplane. Right. I mean, it's, all, it's every day. And he's barely being paid, so it's fine. Right. He's not be I'm not even being paid. Right. You're just kind of here, taking a He's space. an intern. How did I get here? This is his fourth year of interning. <laughs> just kidding. He is being paid. Let's be very clear. Okay, he is. For, ta- for tax reasons. And he's being paid what he's worth. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, this guy woke up mid-flight, and he's like, ah, oh, boy. Ah, oh, jeez. Ah, oh, boy. And then he had to go... Knock. Uh, he 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 tried to communicate with the pilot, pilots via telephone. Knocking on the cabin door, he was stuck. The pilots, of course, did not open the cabin door because they don't know who this guy is from. And they don't open doors anymore, right? And they're flying a jet. They're kind of busy. Yeah. So they just told him, "Sit back in the jump seat, and uh, we'll get you home." And when they landed, the police arrived, and bada boom, bada bing, he had to explain how he fell asleep. I would have just sat down and waited because what are they going to do? Yeah. Except radio in and get you in trouble. Yeah. Well, that could all be taken care of when you land on the ground. Yeah, I would have been. But maybe there's cameras or something. And well, they, then they would know. He's but, just yeah. sitting there. But it's got to be pretty scary to be at 30,000 feet. Yeah. Someone starts banging on your door. Let them call you. <laughs> I don't know. I just wouldn't do it. Because like, if you were in your car, you just slam on your brakes, right? That's yes. what we used to do in the ambulance. Right. The rule was if anyone ever stood up while uh, – like the patient, if they were losing it or sometimes they were criminals, you know, and cops are following us. And if if they were ever – if they'd ever stand up, I, I had a code word. 
jelly bean. Hmm. I don't remember it. And I would hold on and the, the driver would hit the brakes and the patient would go flying. We just did it for fun. Sure. Yeah. It's the kind of thing you do. But you can't do that in an airplane very easily. You know, because you got all this cargo in back, and you, something could loosen up, and then boom! Next thing you know, you just crashed an airplane. You're on a deserted island. Yep. You're FedEx, and then you're, you're talking to a ball. Can't do that. Okay. Don't want to talk to volleyball. Next thing you know, there's a whole movie made about you on a deserted island from FedEx. I'm just saying. Anywho, so watch out out there. If you're a listener, please uh, don't don't sleep on the job. Um, depending on your job too, that's it's a big deal. That's a very big deal. Uh, now, one really quick question for you, Terrell, or Terrell. Yes. <laughs> I only call you that when you're doing other things. You are worried about gas prices. Always. Last week. Tell me. Gas. Over the summer, gas drops. Over the yeah. winter, really. It dropped to like 160-something so around like, my hey, house. like, hey, you want gas? I'll give you gas free. Yeah, and then now it's climbed back up to almost 2 and then it goes over $2. But it's because it's summer. See, summer always gets expensive. That's what they say for yeah. no reason, but here's the reason. Okay, there's Over the weekend, there was a meeting in Saudi Arabia. Oh, boy. OPEC and non-OPEC producers fell apart on Sunday after Saudi Arabia demanded that Iran join, it, join in despite calls for Saudi Arabia to have the agreement and to help prop up crude oil prices. So what they're trying to do is they're we've talked we've talked about how they've increased production and they've kept production at certain levels even though the price keeps dropping they keep producing more yeah. which keeps driving the price lower. Right. And they keep doing it and keep doing it and, and you'd think if you want to keep get your prices back up you would drop production. Right. But they keep pushing production of oil. Well now Iran is ready to dump all that oil that they've been backstocking sure. for all the uh, uh, all the regu- all the what do they call those the uh, Oh, the, the the reserves? No, the, we, we put all the uh, regulations on them so they couldn't trade any oh, yeah. of their oil. The embargo. The embargo, that's right. And and so all that oil, they're ready to put that out now. Mm-hmm. But now every, OPEC is asking them, hold off you so hold we can off. try to stabilize prices, maybe get them to rise so we can all this start making Saudi money This is Saudi Arabia again. basically telling – I mean Saudis, I mean the whole group, but Saudis are trying to tell Irani, Iranians, hold off on your money. So it says some 18 oil nations, including non-OPEC Russia, gathered in Qatar, the Qatari capital of Doha for what was expected to rubber stamp a deal they were just going to rubber stamp. They're going to walk in, sign it, walk away, have a party, who cares? But it didn't happen. OPEC de facto leader Saudi Arabia told participants that wanted all members of the organization of the petroleum exporting countries to take part in the freeze, including Iran, which was absent from the talks. After five hours of first debate about the wording of the communique, including uh, between Saudi Arabia and Russia, delegates and ministers announced no deal had been reached and they left the table. Part of the problem is Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia are backing uh, both sides of conflicts in Yemen and Syria at the moment. Wow. The proxy war, right? They're, yeah. So they're, they're funding both sides. So they're, they're at odds there. Now they're at odds over oil. And the reason the price went up was because people were speculating this deal was going to happen. Mm. So if the deal happened, then prices should go up. So it went up based completely on speculation. And it didn't no go through. Reason, and then it didn't happen. So now they're saying prices should drop again. Whew. That is fantastic. So you might see some relief at the pump. Wow. But the whole reason it went up was because people are like, oh, this deal is going to happen. So we'll just raise the prices now. See that right there. News and insight. That is insight you just gave us. A little bit of anger, too. A lot of anger, little insight. Not, not interest. I don't want to pay on speculation. Let me pay the price of yeah. the product. Especially because they're running out 
all of the American oil producers that were you know making money doing some of the fracking and right. other things we've talked about on the show. They've driven them out of business. Ah. Oh. Anywho, good job. Well done, Terry. Nailed it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Rachel Wadham will be joining us. Rachel is the host of a new uh, radio show here on BYU Radio, Worlds Awaiting, it's called. It's about uh, children literacy, and she's an expert in the subject. We're going to be previewing her show, finding out uh, what else we can learn about literacy and how we can help our children. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, folks, think about it. Were you somebody that read? Did you love reading every morning, every day? You'd come home after school, pull out that book. Are you a reader? Um, Because I I honestly wasn't, and I've been on um, this show we're going to be discussing, and I talked about the fact that I didn't grow up a reader. My parents were incredibly active readers. I mean, literally would get five or six books and bring them home every uh, about every other week. They'd go through books like crazy. But I personally never caught on till I was older. And um, literacy, folks, it makes a huge difference in our lives. And BYU is premiering um, a new radio program called Worlds Awaiting. It's a weekly program for grown-ups who care about children. The show discusses topics that will help the rising generation discover literature and the experience the world around them. It's called Worlds Awaiting. It airs every Saturday at 1.30 Eastern on BYU uh, Sirius XM Channel 143. Also, um, it's hosted by our next guest. Rachel Wadham joins us. She's an expert in literacy and how it affects our families. She's an educator and also, by the way, is a, is the librarian at uh, over the Education and Juvenile Literature section, I guess, department. That's correct. Is that what it is, Rachel? Great to have you. I am so excited to be here. Thanks, Matt. This is great. I, I think this is a program that we need we need to pay attention to, right? Because kids reading equals what? Kids reading equals success, yeah. really. Um, you know, I, I think even though you don't classify yourself as a reader, right? Yeah. You you did do oh. you did engage in that. And I think a lot of times Part of the thing that I think is important, particularly for this show, is some of that is so misunderstood. There's some misconceptions. Like, for example, for me, one of the things when people say, oh, I'm not a reader, it usually means I'm not reading fiction. That's exactly what I thought. But you were a reader that probably read newspapers Uh Mm -hmm. or magazines. I read every self-help book you've ever seen. Exactly. And so that to me, is one of the flaws and one of the kind of myths about literacy that reading equals fiction. Right. And it doesn't. And so that's one of the things we really are trying to do on my show is to encourage people to think more broadly about what literacy is and think more broadly about how do we engage in it Mm. as families, as adults, and how can we help each child individually engage in the, the types of literacy that are going to empower them to do what they need because to do. Because there it's a different age, right? So now these kids can they can go to YouTube and watch how they build, you know, an atomic weapon. That they can also go find articles on it and then read those articles. So they're accessing information. It's just not necessarily sitting in the window sill or whatever reading. Yeah, and that really is something we do on our show is we define literacy really broadly. Great. We define it as anything that you do to communicate with the world around you. So it's read, write, see, think, speak, and listen. So we're talking about such a 
broad range of yeah. skills and a broad range of talents that are so important for kids to have. So things like videos are important to see. And right. how do we interpret those? How do we critically think about those? How do we apply those in our lives is something that we really need to help our kids understand because a lot of these literacy skills, even though we think, oh, they just come naturally, yeah, right. they don't really no, come they don't. naturally. They don't. They really don't. <laughs> but like you could go grab a book. Um, I mean, you could go grab like what I remember reading was a book called The Boxcar Children. Which was like that was uh, as as young as I go. That is one of the books I remember I read. But nowadays, if your child was reading that, you could go find some really interesting supplementary material on YouTube or in other places to really enhance that. And that's one of the things I love about literacy is it really makes connections. This is something I teach in my children's literature class is about making connections with what we're seeing and Mm. hearing and all these things. Like I was listening to your show as I was driving in today and you were talking about Girl Scout cookies earlier. And I started thinking about one of my favorite books, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, okay. So I made this connection from what I was listening to on your show. And then I made this connection to one of my favorite books and I was thinking, oh, yes. So, you know, if we have to give, you know, a full package of Thin Mints to Matt, we're going to have to give him a glass of milk after it. That's right. That's right. Exactly. All of these kinds of things. So that really is one of those great things that literacy, the powers of literacy, and that's one of the things that children do kind of automatically. They make these connections. So reading the boxcar children and then seeing a video and then making other connections is – is really a powerful way for us to interact with our world because then when we start seeing these connections, we start doing things like having more empathy mm-hmm. for people that are not like ourselves. We start having this powerful sense of I am part of something bigger and that I am not the kind of person that's just an individual in this sea yeah. of people. And those kinds of connections are what make us human. Those kinds of connections are what allow us to really do the types of things we need to do in our world mm. because we are so connected. Is that what got you into all of this? I mean, you're you library science, you're you're into all of that, but you're on a, a lot of boards about literacy and Yeah, you know, it started for me because I struggled. Um, I'm dyslexic, and so I really struggled with literacy in a wide range of ways. Math, I struggled with because of my dyslexia, uh, reading, writing, all of these kinds of things. And unfortunately, I had some really poor experiences, Mm. some really bad experiences with teachers and other mentors. And I... Knew that I didn't want kids to have that same experience. As I grew, I knew that I I was able to overcome it because of my wonderful parents and my mother and my dad and my brother who really showed me that there was something there that was worthwhile, Mm. even though I was having these negative experiences. And I just wanted to provide kids with that same that same kind of support system. Yeah, yeah. So I became a librarian because because of that, because librarians are great support systems that way. Teachers are wonderful and have fabulous abilities, but they're so in the mix on a daily basis yeah. that sometimes they don't make the connections that kids really need. And so I saw librarians, that's where I made my connections was with the librarians. They always seem calmer and it's almost like let's go at your space, your timing. Let's go at your rate. It's it's a different discipline. Yeah. It's a different way of looking at things. And I really I really appreciated that and wanted to empower kids and empower 
parents mm. and adults who are able to engage with those things to help their kids and their students yeah. with that way. So that it built from my own experience. Well, and what a, I mean, honestly, as I as I sit there and I think, so we throw out the idea of literacy, and we we always kind of think it's it's uh, maybe a financial kind of status level thing, but also there's learning disabilities, there's reading disabilities, which are all things that you talk about as well on the show. Yeah, we do. We we talk really broadly. We have all kinds of experts. In fact, um, in an upcoming interview we're going to do, we're going to talk about um, language impairments and talk with some researchers who have done some really great work on how language impairments can be helped and also how particularly we can focus to help students with language impairments become more socially integrated Mm. and make those connections. Uh, We also talked about some reading difficulties we had recently on the show, a lady who does a program called Read Dogs, which is a program where kids who have difficulties reading come in and read out loud to dogs Ah. because dogs are not judgmental and they will sit there and listen (laughs) and they won't correct you if you make a mistake. I love a good dog reading. Yeah, Yeah. it's a good dog read. They're fabulous. So it's been really fun That's to see great. that kind of broad scope and then just things, you know, normal kids can do and normal parents can do with any kid to help them engage deeper yeah. in literacy. Man, Rachel, it's a, I think it's a, it's a great show. And let's do this. Let's take a break because, uh, you know, we got to take a break. But I want you uh, as on the way out. Let's listen to the intro to your show. Great. So everybody can just get a feel for how fun and really interesting it is. We'll be right back more with Rachel Wadham and her program, Worlds Awaiting, right here on BYU Radio. I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wadham. Then they they recognize it and they can appreciate the humor. I, I feel like books are way to like bring everyone onto the same page, so to speak. Oh, I see what you did there. Ah. Same page. <laughs> That's Matt Meese, right from um, Studio C. He's the Scott Sterling, the actor that now has forty million views on two videos. Um, but he's he was on your show talking about uh, you know his his. I guess, love of reading. Joining us right now, Rachel Wadham, the host of BYU Radio's Worlds Awaiting, which you can listen to every Saturday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time right here on Channel 143 BYU Radio. Welcome, welcome, Rachel. So glad to be here, Matt. Thanks. Great program. You had, you've had a lot of uh, – you have experts on, and then you bring on guys like Matt Meese. Yeah, we want to really open the scope of literacy. And so one of the things we do is we do a people on the street kind of thing where we just talk about what are your experiences with literacy? Yeah. What what kinds of things have you experienced in this realm? And the cool thing about that is seeing how other people interact with it helps us understand how we interact mm-hmm. with literacy and then how we can help our children interact with literacy. And it's fun to see Matt Meese and, and his cohorts, the development that they did to create a great show like Studio right. C 
what their pathway was. And they talk about libraries and reading as kind of an important part of that pathway, which is cool for yeah. us to see and say, okay, well, this is this is one way you can go with these literacy skills. That's what I love because there's not one way to do it. But it's always, you know, it kind of, especially nowadays, it used to be get a book. You had a book. Get your book. That's what you got. But um, now it's, I mean, really, I think of how much reading is being done just on the internet today. Well, and that is amazing. They say that the amount of information in doubles daily Holy cow. With, with the amount of information on the internet. So the reality is we really need to learn how to critically understand what that information is and how do we use it and how do we apply it. And those skills, those literacy skills are becoming so much more critical for our kids and for us as adults yeah. to be able to interact with our world in a very fundamental way. And if we don't allow ourselves to create these kinds of literacies to be critical about what we do, I think we're going to come across some really bad problems right. as, as that growing generation starts being the ones that are going to vote and build our countries and help the world yeah. solve all of its problems. What, what are some things that we should be doing, Rachel, just as parents to get to get our children more interested, more excited about reading? You know, one of the things that I really encourage parents to do is to not put their tastes or their understanding of what reading is on their children. Mm. I think one of the things that turns children off from reading is when we try to push it too much. And we can get really passionate about what we love, and we want to share it with our children without a doubt. But then when we start pushing something onto them that isn't necessarily what they want yeah. or what they're interested in, then we can start having problems, and they can push away from those even the things that we love into other realms. So I think understanding that everybody encounters literacy differently and helping our parents understand that each of our children is going to react to that differently. Yeah. And we need to honor those types of literacies. If they are reading gaming manuals all day, hey, great. Here we they're, go. They're, they're learning, they're learning words. You know, they're, right. they're learning all kinds of words. And, you know, like I had an experience once in a class where I had a, a student who was tested at a really lower reading level. And he was probably two or three grades below his reading level. And when he came in, he brought in one day this really big bike repair manual. Hmm. And I opened it up and I I couldn't understand one word in it because it had all these technical terms yeah. about the different parts of the bike and and how to fix it this way and how to, you know, the torque and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I have no clue what I'm reading here. But he could read it fluently because Amazing. that was his passion. Right, exactly. And I just said, wow, look at this. You're a great reader. And he's like, I never thought of it that way. And I'm like, yeah. And that changed his attitude. It didn't solve all his problems right. overnight. Right. But he was able to engage with literacy in a different way because I didn't judge what mm -hmm. his reading context was. And I honored that, that, yeah. wow, look at this. You're better at this than and I am. And eventually he'll be a great dad that reads yeah. the manual. Exactly. I know. And could put, <laughs> Which, put the Ikea never furniture happens. together well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. But those right. are just pictures. But we have to read pictures too. But so. it's so true. Yeah. Like just let them read what they like to read and then I guess push harder. I mean, I mean like yeah. if you have to, but it's – they're doing they're doing what they like. So learn from that. Yeah, well and in this way, honestly, when we do things that we love, no pushing necessary. Right, exactly. And so I think there is a way to build that without pushing mm -hmm. and to build that with 
with long term and know that some kids are going to take longer than others or yeah. some kids are going to focus in different ways. I know one friend that I have, her little girl is an artist. She loves to draw. And so she will sit and draw for hours and hours, but it's like pulling teeth to get her to read a book. Hmm. And so I brought her some drawing books, some art books. Yeah. And those were the kinds of things that connected to what she loved. And that kind of connection just makes it so much easier for kids to really engage in what they do. So no pushing necessary. No. Let's just find something they're passionate That's about. That's right. And understand why they're passionate and let them talk about it. huh? And dialogue is one of mm-hmm. the wonderful things. I get a lot of parents who say, oh, I don't want my child to read that or I don't want, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's appropriate. And I say, well, then talk about it to mm-hmm. them, you know, engage with them, especially our teenagers. I uh. think that is so important. If they're reading something, we need to be talking to them about it. Yeah. We need to be engaging with them. And because, read with them. And we'd read with them, yes. Just grab the book. When Sorry. they're doing To Kill a Mockingbird, you grab To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes, yes. If, if you want to read To Kill a Mockingbird, great. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's right. a good thing because it really is about engaging each other. And again, reading is really more of a dialogue right. than, we get it, than we give it credit for. Sometimes we think of it as a really solid solitary individual uh-huh. kind of endeavor, but it's not. I mean, I know everybody out there has probably read a book that they've just loved. And your first instinct when you finish it isn't, oh, I'm just going to sit here alone and ruminate on how <laughs> wonderful it was. It's like, who can I tell? Yeah, you got to share it. really great book. And that, again, is that instinct that it really is a collaborative dialogue yeah. endeavor. It's not Literacy is not as solitary as we make it out to be. I, and I love your excitement about it. Is that the excitement you bring in the in the show, though, World's Awaiting? Because you were just jazzed about sharing. And the, to me, that if you have this time now on your show to get people excited about literacy, it's contagious. It'll well, I over. hope so because I'm passionate about this. Yeah. And, and I have been told by other people that my passion comes through. So it I'm does. hoping that it, it does. does come through on my show because this is something I really, really care deeply about. And I, I love learning. I love engaging with my guests. And I love talking about different things. And, yeah. and I think that's one of the things that just makes this so exciting is it's something I'm passionate about. And I have a venue to share it yeah. with all my friends. <laughs> and, and it's good. It's great content. World's Awaiting. That's the name of the program. It's every Saturday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on BYU Radio. Same channel you're listening to right now, just Saturdays. Tune in, 1.30 Eastern time. Um, Rachel, appreciate you. I am so glad to have been here and Keep talked up. about my show. And thanks thanks for all you do and, I, and all I learned from you oh, and your thank show. thank you. <laughs> and keep up the great work. Seriously. Thank you. I appreciate it. Changing the world. Folks, thank we'll you. take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. In memory of Spencer uh, from uh, Spencer Linton, who is visiting Disneyland as we speak, a little Pocahontas music. Now let's uh, throw it down to our good buddies that are staying behind to to hold down the fort. Uh, Jason Shepard, Jerem Jordan. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. This is appropriate. This is Spencer's favorite song. Is it really? Is it, For the purposes of this, yes. This is, um, we know he loves a good uh, Disney 
what are they, princess? Who better than Pocahontas? Uh, no comment on that one. Hey, um, how are you doing, guys? We're great. You guys rocking and rolling? Are you ready for the big show? Always. What? Kim Stilson Powers? Yeah, later today. Right. Yeah. I mean, but you guys are going to do something, too. But, yeah, later, the Kim Powers Stilson show. Yeah. But before that... No, Powers. It's in her name. It's, it's in her name. Great. Right. Do, do you have any... What's your middle name, Jerem? Um, Lamar. Freedom. Just kidding. Jerem Freedom Jordan. Tate. 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 Jason, do you want to share your middle name? Yeah, Matthew. Oh, gift from God. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. Um, (laughs) That's what Matthew stands for. The most awesome exchange I've ever had with someone. Thank you. No, isn't that a great name? That's a fantastic (laughs) name. I don't know if I had to choose between Matthew and Tate. I think I'm going with Matthew. I don't know why. No, that's your choice. That's my choice. Hey, okay, here's the test of the day, folks. Uh, give me your favorite Girl Scout cookie. Is it the... Samoas. Samoas. Wow, that was yeah. fast, Jerem Tate. Uh, Jason, how about you? You got the Thin Mint, the Tag Along, or the Samoa? We'll go with those three. Yeah, I, I, in all honesty, I'm, I'm not a huge Girl Scout cookie fan. What? Yeah, I know. I'm in the minority on that. I, I realize that. But if, if, if given the... If I have to pick one, Samoas. What do you hate against? What, why no, do you no, hate? No. Why do you hate girls? It's not. It's not. It has, there's no hate involved in this. I just, uh, just not, not, not a huge fan of the variety of the cookies. Is that how you get that ripped body of yours? <laughs> no. Like I, I'm. I just want a good chocolate chip cookie. There you, know you know go. I mean? Oh, there you go. That's that's all. I. I'm a simple person. You're, a, you're a simple person. <laughs> you know what? The winner happens to be Thin Mints. Thin Mints are the most popular huh. cookie. Sold by the Girl Scouts by far. And Ben doesn't like them either. Ben goes with Samoas as yeah. does Jerem and Ben favorites. Now, I guess, did you say Samoa too? Yeah, I yeah. begrudgingly just went with yeah. that one. You, you don't know. No. <laughs> but it is Thin Mint. So responding with sound bites only. And, not to be, not to be rude, but your, your answers are all wrong because the winner is Thin Mint. And, and by the way, Under Armour used the MyFitnessPal app. To determine that. So it is legitimate. 100 million users who enter in their meal choices say that they binge too much. That shows that they binge too much on Thin Mints. So, Interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. It's a lot harder to binge on a Samoa, don't you think? With the shortbread, the caramel, the coconut flakes, there, yeah. and the chocolate drizzle. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You talking about that with the chocolate drizzle and all that, that's making me really want some. See, mm-hmm. I'm changing you. It's called temptation. It For is. better. Yes. I'm Mother tempting Willow. you. Blue hey, moon. Uh, <laughs> did, did you guys want to break into a little Pocahontas song or something? No, nah, that's all right. Jeremy, you sure? N- yeah. Favorite, uh, di- favorite no. Disney uh, princess, go. Go. Um, Mulan. Mulan, Cro- okay. Little cross-dresser, bad to the bone, serious karate skills. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to go with Belle. Ooh. For Beauty and the Beast. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always thought it was creepy that she'd even depends. Do I want to dance? Do I want to play catch? Ooh, mm. play yeah. catch? No. Huh? Mulan probably would play catch. Just yeah, a more athleticism there. Right? Yeah, a lot more athleticism. And Donny Osmond was in the uh, was in that. I'll make a man out of you. Yeah. <laughs> BYU connection. <laughs> Mulan was not a princess. Always bring up Donny when you well, can. Did she become royalty later? I think I've yeah, seen Mulan probably. too. So yeah. I think. It was a Mulan 2? <laughs> There's an entire series. Mulan 1 through 7. Yeah. 
Toy Story is like the only. It's like it's like rivaling that... it's like rivaling the Fast and the Furious with a number of sequels. No, Fast and the Furious bring <laughs> quality to the table. <laughs> you guys, did you hear about? Uh, do you remember? Did I bring up RSS Bodie McBoatface? No. No. What's up? Well, so in uh, in Great Britain, they've they've purchased a two hundred million dollar research ship, and they were looking for a name. Research ship. Uh huh. For a bunch, sort of like ninety researchers. Sea. No, ninety researchers go out to the Antarctic. It's kind of like boys camp and um, science camp, and they spend all this time on this ship, but they didn't know what to name it. So they decided to just name it because a, a BBC broadcaster jokingly said Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> and they ended up voting it in, 125,000 votes basically, and now they have to pretty much name the boat RSS Bodie McBoatface. I love it. Wow. Would you be embarrassed to get on a boat named Bodie no. McBoatface? I'd no, be proud no. of that, actually. No, I would be proud. Yeah. God, I think that's pretty cool. It, you, you guys, it's, that's humiliating. It's humiliating for the boat, but not for the people on it. <laughs> we should call the desk down here Spencer McSpenceface or something. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Let's do it. Desky. Desky McDeskerson. Desky yes. McDeskerson. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to write that down. When Jeff Judkins, the women's basketball coach, was going to get on Twitter, we had people submit what Twitter handles he should use. Yeah, what should he use? My favorite one was Shooter McJudkins. Ooh, there you go, though. He did not go with it. He went with the boring at Coach Judkins. Vanilla, generic, (laughs) BYU. Jeffrey Judkins. What (laughs) are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah, I'm very anti underscore. Nobody can do an underscore quickly. No, it takes way too much effort. Shift. Pinky up. <laughs> right pinky up, yeah. But who's keeping score? It's an eighth grade move. Are you guys marathoners? Boston Marathon today? No. Are you guys? Well, my, my sister lives in Boston. I know it's a huge deal. Are you guys 5Kers? So Patriot Day then? Yeah, it's Patriot Day. See? How did you know that? Well, that means there'll be that means there'll be an early, maybe even started already, a, a Boston Red Sox morning game. What? We have that. The yes. trifecta. Yeah. You knew I took batting practice there, right? At Fenway? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you told us that. That's it's just what cool. I do. Middle of the third, Red Sox up one nothing on the Blue Jays. Look, Look at that. that. Would I went you? to Boston. I've been to Boston one time. We mm. went on our honeymoon to uh, Martha's Vineyard. Nice. And we decided to go up to Boston. Could not find Fenway. Could really? Could not find it. What? Could not Could see. You? And this was before, like, GPS and, like, searches. Uh, well, you just asked someone from Boston. I, I didn't want to get – everything was a one-way street. I did not want to get – caught and Here. so i went to boston probably the only time i'll ever the be there and place I, to drive in the and i yeah. and i will probably, and i never saw fenway it by the kills way kills me to this day i mm. rented an expedition when i drove boston big mistake it so, was originally made for like remember in the 1600s is when they yeah started the, the they weren't thinking of a ford expedition so they're like all <laughs> coming to a point yeah exactly they're so selfish that way Hey, um, anything going on on your show? I know you're going to still do it, right? Today is one of the biggest shows of all time. <gasps> what? And w- Scott Sterling, yes. the, le- the man, the yes. legend, yeah. will be on BYU Sports. Are you going to interview him about his needs. injuries? Yes. How much facial reconstructive surgery was required? <laughs> you will see his face Huge. on BYU TV. You can hear him on BYU Radio. So. Excellent. That's coming up. Also, uh, Lexi Rydalch, newest draft yeah. pick in the WNBA from BYU. She's going to be rich. Seattle Storm. She's an X-Men, apparently. She will join us. As well as Lucas Labe, number one ranked men's volleyball, who's an assistant coach. They have a big semifinal match coming up Thursday because they won Saturday. Wow. That's a big show. You guys are locked and loaded. Plus, uh, what role does pro sports and the success at the next level play in BYU athletics? We'll have that discussion. That's great. And you guys because are going to do. Kafusi is going to be drafted next week. Does he need to be good? Does this matter? No. 
He's yeah, in. you're an A, so wait, yeah, weigh in. And this entire show will take place behind Desky McDesterson. <laughs> Desky McDesterson. <laughs> Sounds fantastic, boys. All right, well, have a good show. I know you got to wax up and get ready, so uh, best of luck to you. Have fun, and thanks for being a part of our lives. Stay sweet. Thank you, Matt. Stay, Stay sweet. sweet, too, and may Pocahontas always sing love to you. Thank you for that. Thank you both. <laughs> and they're out. Man, they're good. Desky McDeskerson. It's a good name. Did you see how fast he came up with that? He came up with two of them. He was probably thinking about it the entire segment. A lot of people do that. Like mm-hmm. they'll listen to my show early and then they're like, oh, I better bring something up like Bodie McBodie McBoatface. And he just hit it. Desky McDeskerson. Yeah, I'm not fast like that. And Spencer's still out. And who knew? Spencer Linton loves Pocahontas. Insider information. And what's great, you know he's in Disneyland right now wearing a Pocahontas head cap thing that they give you at Disney with big ears coming out of it. How do you have a Pocahontas one of those? Just You'll see. Yeah. Just look it up. I was thinking Just more Google like a it. T-shirt with Pocahontas on it. No. No. No T-shirts. Did you hear about the big marathon treat in, in China? This is great news. Some 20,000 runners at a marathon in southern China received a gift pack shortly after they crossed the finish line, uh, according to the People Daily's, People's Daily Report. Hoping to bite into what they thought was an energy bar, the athletes instead got a mouthful of what turned out to be fruit-perfumed moisturizing soap. So like, oh, because you think you just ran a marathon. You're tired. You're starving. You want a, you want a power bar. And instead, you get a mouthful of soap. Witnesses report many bars of soap, all with one bite missing, dumped at the roadside. The problem appears to – we have some audio from the scene. Yep. Oh, see, that's when you're expecting like some nougaty, nutty, mm, yumminess, and instead it's just a bar of soap. The problem appears to come uh, with the fact that the packaging of the soap was in English, so they couldn't read it. You know, the organizers of last month's race uh, were quick to apologize. We're sorry for poisoning so many of our runners. Next year, they will have 15,000 runners. 15,000 runners, but they will provide a fruit bar after the run. Or at least a fruit-flavored <laughs> bar of soap. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Hey, as you know, we like to end the show um, with a hero story so that you can see the good in the world. Who better to help us there than a CrossFit coach who scaled the side of a highway to rescue a family after a crash? Listen to this story. Out of Los Gatos, California, WTKR.com reports, um, after a car crashed and overturned along the Bay Area Highway, CrossFit coach Greg Pina jumped into action, scaling a massive wall to reach the injured, terrified occupants. Pina was about to teach a class the morning of March 26th at the Los Gatos Swim and Racquet Club, which has a workout area below Highway 17. When he heard the crash and saw the smoke rising into the air, the Ford Expedition with six people inside, including the mother and three young children, had flipped, trapping them all inside. Pina used his adjoining chain-link fence to climb up the 25-foot retaining wall, pulling himself onto the roadway. By the way, luckily, he was taking CrossFit at the time and coaching it. You know, no one else could have done that. 
He cut free the young children whose car seats uh, had left them hanging upside down. Then he gave first aid to a teen who was bleeding from a cut on his head. The driver, Jessica Magdaleno, remembers him as an angel who appeared when she needed him most. A devout Catholic, Magdaleno told reporters she prayed for Pena the following Sunday. After finding out how Pena had risked his own safety to come to their aid, firefighter Scott Graham nominated him for a Citizens Medal of Valor Award. I know he wouldn't call himself that, but yeah, I think that's exactly what he was. What he did was heroic, Graham said. So there you have it. He, uh, CrossFit coach Greg Pena, you're the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. That's what it takes, folks. Sometimes you just got to do what needs to be done, right? Even if it's scale a wall, for heaven's sakes. And isn't it interesting, sometimes you're the one that's perfectly ready to handle the troubles you need to take care of. A CrossFit instructor, the perfect guy to be able to do such a thing. Anyway, remember that. You're all heroes in my book, and we can't do the show without you. Join us every Monday through Friday, seven uh, or, uh, sorry, 9 to noon Eastern Time. And uh, stick with us, folks. We always try to give you the tools, the information you need to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Also, at the end of today, I mean, just a few minutes from now, you can go listen to BYU Sports Nation and their show. Thanks for joining us. Until tomorrow, take care of each other, watch each other's backs, and make it a great one.